Hello there, welcome to episode 209 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast with me and due to the events of last week and because of a period of mourning, we are going to be cancelling the introduction of Sam Slight, so I won't be introducing Sam, he's just going to start talking as a mark of respect to the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Go on then, say something. <laughs> Hello, you hobos, humping <laughs> slowbo babe. Sorry, if there any royalist people out there are offended by that, it's just a little bit of fun and sarcasm. I believe people quite arrogantly call it satire mm. these days, Sam. That's what everyone get. Everyone do, does a sarcastic joke. And goes, it's satire. Yeah, it's hashtag. like no, you're, you're not. You're not fucking Chris Peter Morris. Cook, mate. Yeah, you're not Chris Morris. You're not, it's just a fucking shitty. Term. That's what that was. Anyway, yeah. Have you enjoyed the? Um, well, not enjoyed. Have you? Well, I suppose you've got no choice to sort of pay attention to what's it. It's a big thing, isn't it? It's a big thing with it because we've recorded before the Queen died last week, and, then, and here I am already sort of mocking it. I'm not mocking <laughs> her and her death, but I am going to kind of mock people's reaction to it. I'm afraid. Yeah, I feel broadly the same. Like, um, I, <laughs> on the one hand, I do feel sad that a woman has died. Obviously, that is upsetting for the family, and to be honest, for the the many many people whose lives she had an impact on. But I do fundamentally detest the institution that is the monarchy. Not even just the British monarchy, just monarchies, hereditary power. Now, nah. so I'll be honest, I haven't been doing Look my. At you with nuance. I haven't been doing you my. Nuance, I know Sam. this isn't right, is it? No. I need to condense it down to 280 characters in a kind of ill thought out tweet that I send late at night when I go, ah, that'll be funny. And then no one likes it, so whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's always good. But uh, yeah. Uh, I haven't been doing my state-mandated grieving, I'll put it that way. She's a white supremacist murderer. Is she? She's just an old woman who lived in a big house, I thought, wasn't she? Oh, she could have said no to all of that. If you were fucking... Remember when you were 14? You'd be delighted to have anything, wouldn't you? If you were born, you know, like, here's a big hat made out of jewels and gold, you wouldn't have gone, no, no, because I think the institution... Of course you wouldn't have fucking done that. People saying you'd have given up the crown. Bullshit, you cunts. You cunts wouldn't give up anything. You wouldn't give up a fuck. When you, I bet you were kids, you show you a NUS card to get a free cheeseburger at McDonald's. I bet you're like, yeah, my free cheeseburger. If you were born into like untold wealth, you're not going to go. Nah, actually, I've decided that this is that, that this is morally reprehensible, so I'm not going to do it. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. So those people are stupid. Um, yeah, she's just an old woman who died. She seemed all right. The Queen. I mean, I don't give a shit about the royal family at all, to be honest. But I thought. The, Queen seemed like, apparently she's quite a nice lady. Sad that she died for her family and for the people who like her and stuff. I did like, I, I tell you what, I got a bit obsessed with the BBC, well, not even every, everything rolling 24 hour news and how that kind of, how quickly that deteriorated from the news breaking to them bringing on royal commentators who who think they have this amazing insight into the Queen who really have nothing. Do you know what mm. I mean? You get those people and go, well, t- tell us about your relationship with the Queen. And they go, well, the thing that people really need to understand is that... <laughs> I didn't realise Prince Charles was one of the commentators. He was. Yeah, he, well, people who sound like yeah. him, they all sound the same, <laughs> don't they? They're all related somehow. So, uh, uh, when the Queen was in a place she would be in one place and she would never she was born into this incredible wealth and privilege but she, she never forgot that if she was in one place she would be there in that one place she would never be somewhere but also be somewhere else and i think that's something that we in britain do so very well and uh, she would eat with her mouth 
like a common person. Like, just, you see people every day, they eat with their mouths, and the queen, she would, she didn't feel that she was above that. She would do that. And again, I think it's something we in Britain have learnt from her to do. It's something we do so very well. And it went on like that. From a first tweet from the Pope and Joe Biden going, oh, we're sad about the Queen dying. Ollie Mers has tweeted, only one Queen, RIP, Lizzie. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, it, oh, was, it was fucking nonsense. It's been, it's been nonsense. Oh, yeah, to be yeah naturally. Uh, I mean, it's... I do like your kind of um, impression of a royal correspondent, though, because it makes me think that maybe if the acting doesn't work out, Harry Styles could do it. She's like, she's like a monarch. Not. She's like one of them monarchs <laughs> that you go and see because they're in a monarchy. She's like a monarch. She walked, and so it would be so easy for someone of such privilege to put one foot in front of the other, but then not bring the other in front of the other. But she walked like any common person would walk, and that's something that we in Britain do so very well. It's always shit that we in Britain do so very well because of the Queen. Oh, we do that in Britain so very well. And it's just absolute fucking nonsense. Fucking nonsense. But look, RIP the Queen. <laughs> I suppose, See you later, you Liz. Know, like, yeah, Miss she you, big was, man. She was all right. But man, we have gone fucking bananas in this country. Uh, you know, um, and we're both going to get arrested for this first five minute segment of the podcast. I'll, I'll so. go down a political prisoner. I'm happy, <laughs> happy to go yeah. down. Whack me in the prison. <laughs> go on, stick me in there with uh, with Mark Chapman, who we'll be talking about in a little bit. Uh, we are going to be doing a kind of catch up show for the next couple of weeks on certain genres. So this week, we're going to be focusing on metal. Get the, the out of the way first, isn't it? Catching up on some of the big metal releases of the last couple of months catching up on some of the metal releases that we've missed and some of the things that we like and are interested in, some little tidbits here and there. But new music from Behemoth, Clutch, Ozzy Osbourne, The Devil Wears Prada, The Who, Stake, Megadeth, Ending Cult Leaders, Split, Black Braid and Saboteur. That is a lot of metal for one show. And if that wasn't enough metal for you, Sam went to see Machine Head and Amon Amarth together. So this show is going to be fucking metal as fuck um we're also doing a writer's review on snot's debut and only sadly album get some on our patreon page Hell yeah. which is going to be coming up this weekend so patreon.com forward slash right act podcast sign up for any amount you'll get a writer's review on get some by snot which i'm very much looking forward to and we just this week put up our classic album on different class by pulp which isn't very metal um but it is still good yeah, it's significantly better than anything we'll be talking about this week. Apart from apart from the gig, I'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, oh, it's yeah, definitely better. So five pound a month, you get two classic albums a month, and uh, I love talking about pulp. I mean, I I just I've been kind of holding back because I did think I was going to do this as hardcore when it came to doing the classic album because I, lo- I fucking love this hardcore and it's some really interesting stuff around that but because we'd had a month off well, i want to come back with a bang and i think you know different class is the back with the bang album for pulp it's fucking astonishingly brilliant record what a great pop record. Oh, it's absolutely unbelievable and as i said um you know you can hear in the special uh if you well if you sign up if you're not already and you listen to it and everything i mean for me um you know it's one of the few albums we talked about that's come about in my lifetime that i have heard even though i was very young when it arrived um 
and I just basically had a kind of epiphany on the way back from Stafford listening to it. I was like, oh my God, this is one of the most important records of my life. Mm, fucking banging record. What a great record. So go over to patreon.com forward slash right podcast and you can sign up there for a classic album or two a month. We've got a load up there already alongside Pulp with the Beatles, Sepultura, Pixies, Depeche Mode, U2, Weezer, Glassjaw, Rage Against the Machine, Deftones, R.E.M., Smashing Pumpkins, Neil Young, Cave-In, Blur, Lamb of God, Baroness, Typo Negative, PJ Harvey, Block Party, Pearl Jam. Lots and lots of stuff up there for you to go and enjoy. So do go and do that. I've already said it. We'll be in jail with old Mark Chapman. So Mark Chapman denied parole for the 12th time. I don't know if you saw this story, Sam. For the 12th time, he's going to be in prison for another two years. He is 67 years old now. Uh, you've got to think that he's probably not going to get out when he comes around to parole two years from now. Chapman, of course, is the man who shot John Lennon in December 1980. Um, and uh, yeah, he's been going for parole for quite some time now and he keeps getting denied parole. Have you got any thoughts about this, about the the moral quandary of this particular story and incident? Sam? Well, as one of the finest legal minds of my generation, um, <laughs> uh, do I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, I'll be honest, I didn't see this story. And to be honest, Mark Chapman, um, as a figure, I kind of assumed... Um, that he may have been on a kind of like 25 to life sentence or something like that. So I didn't really think about even the prospect of parole for him. Um, I suppose the thing is, well, the, the, the kind of um, romanticized ideal of incarceration is that it gives people the chance to um, sort of, uh, God, what's the fucking word? Redeem, redeem themselves. themselves yeah there was a particular word i was trying to grasp for but yeah redeem themselves and kind of i don't know better themselves um and i don't know i mean if has he done that i mean obviously i don't know i haven't interviewed him so well he has said during his previous hearings that he's described his actions as despicable and he has also said that he would have no complaint whatsoever if he remained in prison for the rest of his life he said, I assassinated him because I was very, very, he was very, very, very famous. And that's the only reason. I was very selfish. He was seeking self-glory. And I think, he said, 30 years ago, I couldn't say I felt shame. This is from 2018 during his appeal, actually, not the recent one, but the one before. 30 years ago, I couldn't say I felt shame and know what shame, but I know what shame is now. So, you know, he obviously... He could just be saying that. Obviously, it's probably what you would say after 40 odd years in prison. You could say, well, you know, maybe he should be let out now because he's been kind of rehabilitated and is that this time in prison has made him realise what a terrible thing he did and da 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 da. I think were he to have killed any other person, he probably would mm. be let out. Right? But he hasn't. He killed John Lennon. And if he does get out, I would say it's probably for the best that he does stay in prison. Because if he were to get out, I think he would get his bums a couple of times. <laughs> it probably wouldn't end well for him. Um, yes, uh, rehabilitation was precisely the word I was looking for. Thank you. Um, That's the one. Yeah, I mean, it does raise the question, why, would the, why should the punishment for killing a kind of notable public figure be more severe than killing anyone? You know, because, well, 
every every life is equal isn't it um but yeah i <laughs> can kind of almost see remaining in prison being quite a good protective state for him as you say because i mean let's be honest you know if he went out and killed john lennon i mean there's probably a mad beatles obsessive out there who would go out and try and kill mark chapman and then it's just an eye for an eye and as we know that makes the whole world blind yes very very poignant and profound thing to say there, first time for yes. everything and it, again it, thank you uh and it um <laughs> it actually it speaks to that thing that i said about a few weeks ago when we were talking about scott kelly about putting musicians on a pedestal these people who have put john lennon on a if there was any kind of real justice and this was just a normal case he'd be out by now i'm sure he would but because he's john lennon because people are so obsessive about the actual individuals who make the music that means so much to them he's not getting out because he will get mm. fucking killed yeah, of course sure. he will someone will go you say like one Beatles, <laughs> i mean fuck me my ex-girlfriend was a mad Beatles obsessive and i couldn't stop her from punching me let alone punching someone who killed john lennon uh so you know i think um i think that would probably end quite like you say quite badly for him and you know he did he he, he deprived the world of whatever John Lennon musically was going to do next and more importantly kind of deprived John Lennon's mm. family of a father, a husband, a son, all those, you know, so I'm not sticking up for Mark Chapman in any way whatsoever. What he did is fucking rank. And I think if he stays in prison for the rest of his life, sorry, mate, you did the thing and you got to do the thing, but it does speak to that, that element of people who they get, when you get much more, that sort of heightened mm. thing. I mean, you know, like when Mark Lanigan died, fucking hell, this year, earlier this year, I was super upset. I'm not saying I'm immune to this, you know. I was so fucking upset when Mark Lanigan died. Really, really upset. And, you know, I've never met him before. I don't know him as a as a person. And he's obviously a complicated character, but his music meant a mm. hell of a lot to me. I think that's the thing. His music meant a hell of a lot to me and he's kind of a, the conduit for that. But I think I always try and think of, artists and musicians and musicians more like that than like these kind of godlike things that are more important than just us normal people otherwise what are you just the bloody daily mail royal correspondent <laughs> but for someone in scruffy jeans rather than a big hat made out of gold aren't you yeah yeah it's a fair point yeah. bringing it back round. call back that good mm, it's a fair point thank you thank you that is a callback good so well we've done that now we've 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 sorted that out um the 1975, here's it, we're going to talk about the 1975 very quickly as well before we get into metal. I thought I'd chat these stories in just as it was not all metal this week. 1975, Matty Healy has said that they didn't want to support Ed Sheeran. Nothing personal, but this seems to have been something that um, they've been kind of mugged, like, mugged off a bit just for sort of turning down the the Ed Sheeran support slot, the nineteen seventy five, and he said, "I just wanted to do our own shows." Says Matty Healy. Uh, he said they were offered a four month tour next year of stadiums with the biggest singer songwriter in the world that would have made me money that I'd never even seen or heard seen or heard in my life. And he said, um, "The thing about the money you're getting offered, it's not just offered; it's what he can afford because it's what he makes of shows, and then just triple it. It's insane." Um, and then Matty Healy had to kind of say, just to be clear, I have mad respect for Ed Sheeran. I didn't decline sharing a stage with him. I just wanted to do our own shows instead. And he's always been so nice to me personally and publicly. So I didn't start a Twitter thing for funny. I had to mm. kind of come up, 
sort of come out after this interview with the New York Times to go, I wasn't cussing out Ed, Ed Sheeran. I wasn't being like, nah, fuck touring with Ed Sheeran. But, you know, it's quite an interesting one. I think there's been plenty of times where quite big bands have turned down the opportunity to support really, really, really massive bands. I mean, just a few that jumped to mind. Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana both turned down the opportunity to open for Guns uh, N' Roses. Okay. Back in the day. Um, this isn't really turned... Stone Temple Pilots were forced to turn down the opportunity to tour with um, KISS when KISS reformed due to Scott Whalen's drug problems. And yeah, you know, like there have been some odd bills over the years, but there's also been plenty of precedent of big bands and bands that are coming up and bands that are sort of becoming the, the big thing actually refusing the patronage of an artist bigger than them. I don't really think there's much wrong with that at all no in theory no not at all and i mean you know as you say he's not cussing out ed sheeran at all and he's not saying oh we don't want to do it on kind of moral or sort of artistic grounds but actually they kind of are turning it on on artistic grounds so that they want to go and do what they feel is credible and what they want to do and not saying mm-hmm. that touring with ed sheeran isn't credible you know whatever you know go and do whatever I mean, you like it's not that credible is it well they i mean they would be the best band on the bill out of two yeah yeah I mean, they'd be the only band on the bill they'd be the only band on the bill because Ed Sheeran is a one man band well he might bring out Cradle of Filth you don't know <laughs> he might do yeah he might bring out Cradle of Filth or he might rock up at the fucking electric ballroom when Cradle of Filth <laughs> play it and rock up at Bloodstock that's what he needs to do he thinks he's fucking hard turn up at Reading to play Bring Me Horizon get down fucking damnation when Cradle of Filth are headlining Ed <laughs> Let's see you do that. Then we'll all be impressed. We'll be super impressed. Yeah, yeah. Come, go on. Come to the Take Sc- Dimmu Borgir out on tour with you. Come to the Scala for a Nal Nathrak and Sigh in December, you pussy. <laughs> yeah, go on, do it. Go on, I dare you. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually bought tickets for the 1975 in January because oh, I was great. so impressed by their Reading performance. And I've been listening to them. And I've been listening to more of their poppy stuff. And I have to say, again, at the risk of sounding like Patrick Bateman, I really like the poppy stuff. Not so keen on the when they try and be experimental. I like it. Just do pop music, lads. Mm. That's what I reckon. Just do the pop stuff. But I really love it. I like. I, I am. I am a total convert to the 1975. Now they're really good, and I'm glad they're doing their own shows rather than going off a tour and they're cheering personally because I get to go and see them in Bournemouth of all places. <laughs> oh, Sleepy Bournemouth. You go to the Bic. I'm going to the Bic, mate. Brilliant. That's why I went to my first ever show to see Madness oh, in 1995, nice. and uh, I'm going back in. January 2023. It doesn't feel real. It's all come full circle. Yeah, it is. So, you know, I thought it was quite interesting. I don't know if you can think of any other bands who have, like, turned down massive support slots with anyone before. Ooh, uh, my mates in Biolcaster said they didn't want to support Mastiff the other week. I don't know if that's quite the same. It's also not true. They are supporting Mastiff. They were just the first two small bands that came to mind. Right, um, okay. No, there's uh, none that immediately come to mind that I don't think you've already mentioned. Although, to be honest, I didn't know Nine Inch Nails were even offered a sports slot with Guns N' Roses. Nirvana I'd heard of, mm-hmm. but Nine Inch mm-hmm. Nails I hadn't. I've just thought of another one. Diantwerk turned down the support with Lady Gaga. That's mad. That's mad. Yeah. And then he did a video slagging her off. Oh, yeah. Forgot, yeah. I mean, I didn't really forget about the video, but I didn't necessarily immediately put that together. God. That's what it was about. You yeah, bloody knobs. About. You landering ninja. I can't. <laughs> I can't. That's a silly thing to do. That's very silly. Turn down the Lady Gaga support slot. Well, punk in it. Like, yeah, but what's their beef with her? I don't know. 
I can understand Nirvana having beef with Guns N' Roses. Mm. Or Nine Inch Nails like, going, oh, I don't want to be with bloody Guns N' Roses. Like, I can understand that. Because they, you know, although it seems ridiculous now, at the time, it's quite a lot of stuff where Guns N' Roses was still sort of considered part of the Sunset Strip crew and that, and Nirvana were the antithesis of that. Mm. And they get, I suppose, as well, for Trent, like, just didn't want to surround himself in that kind of circle of rock establishment at that point. On, I think it was on Pretty Hate Machine yeah. that they were offered it or broken, maybe. Um, so I can kind of understand that. And I guess you look at the ant word and you go, ah, yeah, you know, you are trying to be something really weird and grittier and you want to come across as realer and all this sort of whatever. Mm. But you're still basically a kind of pop, hip-hop, electro, dancey thing, right? Yeah, ostensibly. Lady Gaga's just a massive yeah that's a weird one to me i don't know why you do that you'd be playing fucking stadiums with one of the one of i would say certainly pop's most open-minded fan base Mm, yeah for sure i mean i was uh i was lucky enough to see lady gaga quite uh, a few years ago it was uh february 2018 and it was um you know broadly i would say the crowd you'd kind of expect but there were a lot of people there who didn't look like they kind of fit into the necessary sort of stereotype of a pop music audience including me wearing my were you standing in front of a mirror in how oh, sorry i've ruined dare you sorry man. oh no i meant more how dare you offend me you ruin whatever you want because i'm not that funny but no i was wearing a napalm death shirt and i didn't necessarily feel massively out of place it was great it was mm. a really really nice atmosphere so yeah you shot yourselves in the foot there ninja and yolanda yeah uh where did you see lady Gaga? uh nec in birmingham it was actually the oh i think it might have been the only show she did, possibly of that entire tour, certainly of the EU tour. She may have done one prior, but the day after um, was when uh, her, I believe it's fibromyalgia she suffers with, but it kind of flared up and she was mm. unable to tour. Um, after that, she basically called the whole thing off the next day. So I felt very smug. I'll tell you what, right? I would like to see Lady Gaga. And we know when you talk about seeing artists in very very small venues mm. and being like oh, what's the smallest place you've seen an artist and stuff right i know people who've got some great ones oh i saw caius at the underworld or i saw nirvana at the astoria or do you know what i mean i see that i know people who have seen things where i'm like fucking hell that would have been amazing mm. to have seen that band back then when they were tiny my girlfriend went to glastonbury in 2010 right when like the fame monster had come out and she was fucking massive and she played or she was getting fucking massive and she played this unbelievable huge crowd on the other stage mm. i think she was like either subbing or about third down on the other but it was clear that she was like about to become yeah. this massive superstar she said later on she was just walking around glastonbury and walked past one of the cabaret tents and it was like half full and she was like oh someone's doing like a lady gaga song in one of the cab and went in and it was actual lady gaga playing to about 150 people and people were walking by going oh there's a lady gaga tribute act in there and it's like no no this is actual and she went and watched the whole fucking lady gaga set just randomly and people were like losing their shit and having to go out and actually drag people in and go no it's actually lady gaga i mean that is cool that's, that's amazing that's very cool just her and a piano fucking mate like cool. imagine that anyway not a lot to do with metal really which is you know <laughs> the metal show go on so you saw machine head and a monomath i bloody did uh you're not lying i'm not lying no no i'm a lion heart and viking oh rubbish um but yeah i'm I'm being bawdy steve enjoy it um yeah so 
Thursday, the 8th of September, 2022. Obviously, it's a day that will go down in history. There was a solemn and almost reverential kind of feeling in the air because it was the Halo Effect's first ever UK show. Oh, wow. Yeah, Bloody so hell. That's quite good. Um, the Halo Effect. Mm. Uh, I can be brief on them. To be honest... They exist in a genre I am very, very picky with, which is Mellow Death, being sort of former members of At The Gates and some current members of Dark Tranquility as well. Um, I'd not listened to the album prior because it really just, I don't know, it just did not interest me. There was plenty out at the time that I was much more keen to get onto. So I hadn't listened to The Halo Effect until seeing them live. Um, they came out and the first song was kind of fine, sort of perfunctory Mellow Death. That was a song called Days of the Lost. And I thought, uh, this could be a quite testing half hour but to be honest from the second track the needless end they introduced a, a real kind of swaggering sense of groove to their mellow death stuff and it was actually pretty good um by the time you get to their fourth track uh, which was feel what i believe it was a real rollicking kind of euro metal almost sort of power metal influence creeping in i thought um and it had a nice blasty stomp to it as well it was good um my only real point of criticism on it was that uh, Michael Stanner, or Mikhail Stanner, I'm not sure quite how you pronounce it, from Dark Tranquility, who does vocals in the Halo Effect, um, he was broadly inaudible throughout where we were standing. And we were kind of, uh, I don't know, halfway between the back of the venue and the stage in the standard area. We were sort of right in the middle. Um, his harshes were low and his clean vocals were pretty much silent throughout. But they were good. And um, I did find it amusing that when... Michael, stroke Mikhail, came on stage. Uh, he basically skipped on, which is very, very metal. So that was fun. Very metal. Very metal. Good. I've heard good things about that album, actually, from people who like that sort of thing, whose opinion I trust, not just people who randomly like, you know, all metal music. Um, people who actually are quite kind of considered and the stuff they like have said that that album is really good. So that it's just basically, like you say, the thing that Melodeth does, but it's really good. So I might actually have a little listen to that if you're saying that they're... Uh, got a little bit of uh, an extra oomph to them. Yeah, they've got a little something to them that, to be honest, I don't think the the hefty PA at the Nottingham Motorpoint Arena really did justice to. So, yeah, I'd be curious to check them out when I've got a spare minute, but they're not kind of top of my priority list. But good. Halo Effect, good. Um, another band who, to be honest, I have never actually listened to a full album of, uh, Amon Amarth came out. And as I say... Um, with the mellow death stuff um, to be honest death metal broadly as a subgenre and all of its splinter subgenres is something I'm super picky with I would say in terms of kind of well in terms of extreme music death metal is the thing I gravitate towards the least and naturally Johan Hegg's vocals do come from a death metal background predominantly real low growls and quite I don't know chest beating kind of well, I suppose in that sense more power metal warrior stuff but they've got that death metal bent um I was staggered, knowing none of the songs that they played, how much I enjoyed them on a math. They were fucking brilliant, mate. So good live. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of theirs. I mean, they actually had an album out recently and we're not reviewing it on the show this week on a specifically metal week, which should probably tell you quite a lot about how I'm fairly ambivalent to them on record but i have to say live mate yeah what a great live band really yeah absolutely good. so i'd caught a little bit of them at um oh no i don't know if i can remember the year specifically it was either 2018 or 19 at download they were playing and i kind of watched them from the top of the hill as i was going to see someone on the fourth stage because i'm a bloody little cult boy aren't i I like the small bands none of this big rubbish um but yeah they looked they looked great they looked the part on that main stage at download and in the motor point arena i mean to be honest they kind of dwarfed it they were 
their stage show is so so massive um they came out um with uh guardians of asgard into the raven's flight into the great heathen army and they had these giant well you know they kind of looked like they were maybe styrofoam statues or something like that a very spinal tap um of kind of norse warriors and you know one holding an axe one holding a sword um looking very sort of solemn but also quite imposing and then when you get to um the fourth track which they played which was deceiver of the gods which people went fucking mental for people went ballistic it was awesome i mean it, it was like it was a kind of end of the night song or something people just absolutely went balmy for it but after that the um the inflatables at the side properly deflated in a very spinal tap way and i thought at first it was like oh they've not really thought about that but then actually the further we got into the set which was awash with pyro and so much kind of stage theatrics and stuff i thought no actually like i'm on a math i'm probably never going to go and listen to their records sort of by choice like the odd song here or there whatever i like a couple of their tracks never gonna sit down and listen to their albums and dive deep into them but actually, they do what I want Arena Metal to do so well, which is be knowingly ridiculous and po-faced and think that it's the dog's bollocks, but kind of with a bit of a nudge-nudge-wink-wink. Wink. Because they know they must have known it looked silly, and they played into it so much. Um, like, later in the set, um, they had this thing come out. I don't know its name, but it's, it's Eddie. Like, it is Eddie. It's a kind of... Vi- skeletal viking warrior that sort of comes out and he just stumbles about for a bit does a kind of mock guitar solo air guitar thing and then he goes and that's fine and you know there's a bit where johan has a sword fight with someone else in traditional sort of norse get up it's all very very silly but i bloody loved it bloody loved it especially um during the finale which naturally was twilight of the thunder gods which even i knew was going to be the song they'd close with um johan smacking their inflatable world serpent kind of leviathan thing with Mjolnir I mean that is Yannick Gares isn't it and it's like if you enjoy that I don't think you're yeah. really allowed to have too much of a go at Yannick I mean Yannick's pretty useless in the band and you know Johan actually does something really quite integral but um yeah daft as a brush absolutely loved it probably not gonna go and listen to their back catalogue but I would happily go and see them live again and again and again they're actually quite a good shout for a band who you know we did a pulp special down I said had any band ever risen from nothing to something in such a a, la- a latter period in their you know, career like for so long so 17 years between pulp forming and then releasing different class which was like a number one album now it ain't the same thing but a modern math formed in 1992 twilight of thunder gods seventh studio album went top 50 in the uk top 200 in the us billboard chart and that was 2008 so that you know you're looking at a 16 year period then mm. i mean it's still not really the same but you know it's interesting because it's a completely different type of music which isn't going to really cross over that much although saying that they have made the top 20 in the u.s twice actually top 50 in the u.s and then top and 126 in the uk just getting the u.s and uk mm. mixed up and um yeah so they've had bloody hell they've had five four five top 50 albums in the u.s that's mad crikey yeah fair play to them fair play to them and to be honest deservedly so if you're into that sort of thing i can't think of many bands who are doing it better than a monomath with my very limited knowledge of what is ostensibly a very very silly subgenre that i'm not going to listen to in my spare time but good well done those lads mm. now um i mentioned on the show last week that i was going to be seeing godflesh and i sounded very very excited about that 
unfortunately the god flesh shows that i was meant to be going to got postponed um so i've just come to the realization that i should never be excited about anything ever again because it always goes wrong that is a good idea i think i think i should just live in a kind of constant malaise um which is fine i do spend most of my time doing that um so i was really sort of trepidatious about how excited i was for machine head to see machine head again i've only seen machine head twice before i saw them two nights on the trot at the roundhouse in 2019 on well on catharsis but when they were doing their evening with performances and i did think going in it's like well you know machine head they've had some ups and downs but they've had a lot of ups they've got so much material how are they going to readjust from going back to doing kind of three and a half hour sets to 90 odd minutes because there's a lot to pack in and it's one of those shows where i know you're going to everyone's going to go home being like, oh, they didn't play that, 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 and that. Um, they came out uh, to become the Firestorm, which when it kicked off, I was like, oh my God, it's Machine Head. I was oh, giddy with excitement. Um, this is probably my one real criticism of the entire set though. Um, in some ways, I have to applaud them for not using backing tracks, but my word, Jared's vocals are weak. Are they? They are weak. Like, I didn't think they were great on the album, but live, when he's doing that, break up the firestorm. No, no, it just doesn't really work. So it was a good opener, but then <laughs> went straight into Imperium and obviously all oh, fucking, all fucking hell broke loose. Um, Rob Flynn likes a circle pit, doesn't he? He was adamant there was going to be a very, very big one. And to be honest, it kind of kept growing throughout the set from there. Um, to the point where I'd say probably a third of the standing area was was a circle pit, um, which I suppose probably fair to note that um, it wasn't super busy, I would say. I would say the standing, if I had to estimate, um, and I can kind of give some more credence to this when I get towards the end of the set, um, I would say it was probably, being generous, maybe 60% full. Like there, there was a lot of space i would mm. say it wasn't like being a, a sold out arena show where you're kind of gasping for air and when the audience jumps you're just pulled up with them whether you want to or not um but anyway the circle pit was massive flynn <laughs> loved it everyone that was in it loved it it was great um they then went into a song that i never thought i'd see them play outside of an evening with or the tour for the album because i completely missed that tour and it was when i got into machine oh no sorry it's the album after i got into machine but they uh, did now we die thought was a an interesting choice and i was well happy with it until i found out that on every other date they were doing tent on hammer in its place oh yeah 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 i mean that's not as good is it it's not as good but i do really really like now we die so you know i'm happy with that less happy with um we let's got no gods no masters which i think's a decent song but ultimately it is the fourth single from a band's 10th album it's never going to be like the big hitter um every other date got what i would estimate would will certainly be my top five machine heads ev- machine head songs every other date got locust mm. gutted mate that is gutted. absolutely gutted i yeah. um fuck it i'm one of these weirdos who just adores onto the locust despite children's choir aside and everything i fucking love onto the locust and locust the song yeah ooh, it might even be my top three machine head songs so i was gutted to find out they didn't do that however i got a little treat another song that i never thought i'd see not even on an evening with fucking went into i am hell sonata in c oh that's a good song i like that song 
Oh, I know you love it, good. don't you? It's yeah, better it's than good. It's fucking brilliant. Um, and it was interesting at this point because I was just starting to notice as they were going into I Am Hell, it was like, the production's been pretty pared back compared to what a Monomath are doing, which, you know, naturally, a Monomath are absolutely mad and bombastic. But I thought, strange that, you know, Machine Head are in an arena and we haven't had any pyro yet. And then you get to the first course of I Am Hell and a just wall of flame erupted from the front of the stage. It was fucking brilliant. Um, then get Aesthetics of Hate, classic. You know, you can't argue with that. Again, really, really big circle pit going ballistic for it. We then got Darkness Within, which fortunately, I think, suffered from some technical problems because Rob Flynn's acoustic guitar, um, the pickups weren't working. So he spent a good few minutes kind of shouting at his sound guy, you know, in a jokey way, but you could tell he was a little bit annoyed, naturally, because, you know, he's a professional performer and he wants it to go as well as he can. It did mean we were spared a really, really long speech from him, as he is wont to do in, at the beginning of Darkness Within. So that was good. Yes, yes, yeah. that is true, yeah. I will say, and this will this will be the last time I talk about this on the show, he did mention the passing of the Queen because it had happened, you know, well, it was announced kind of 30 minutes before the doors to the venue opened. And it was interesting to note that I'd say the majority of the arena, the people that were there, basically stayed silent. I'd say you know, probably about 60% of people didn't react, basically. And then I think it was of the 40% left, probably a 20-20 split of people cheering and people booing. It was it was interesting. I'll say that much. Um mm. It's almost like the silent majority of people in the world aren't fussed either way, isn't it? Yeah, who would have thought, eh? Yeah, I mean, I just stayed quiet. It's funny, um, a friend of mine who shall remain nameless was next to me and he's vociferously anti-monarchy and like, he was uh, he was saying some things that I won't repeat um, and the woman who was stood in front of us turned round and looked at him like he just walked into a house and shat on her carpet. She was not happy with him. But anyway, during that song... Um, Machine had come on a little bit later than I think anyone was expecting. They didn't really take to the stage till probably quarter to ten. So, like, late in the day. And so I turned to my mate and I said, after Darkness Within, it's like, oh, if the, ne- if the next song's a long one, I'll probably dip out halfway through. And, of course, they went into From This Day. And I'm not going to leave during that because brilliant. Rapping. Time to see, believe this in me. Brilliant. Um, we then get to Davidium. Great. This is the point where I think I can justify saying that it wasn't that busy. Um, because during Davidium, I was like, oh, mate, I've got to go. I've got to go and make my train. I know they'll do like something else after this. I almost certainly know what it is. And it was. It was Halo, which is my favourite Machine Head song. So I was a bit good to miss that. But I thought, well, it's better than being stranded in Nottingham overnight. Um, during Davidium, they got to the big breakdown at the end. Um, I started leaving just as they started that. I was out of the motor point before they'd finished Davidium. So I think that kind of shows you how, how sparse the crowd was, I guess. But yeah. Machine Head were on fucking great form. They were absolutely amazing. And I basically, I just want them to come back as soon as possible and just play every night and I'll go and see them every night because Machine Head are just fucking great. So They are great. It's pretty gutted to miss it at Wembley. I mean, again, are Machine Head an arena band? It's weird, isn't it? Because I sort of think they've been... Um, up and down as we discussed when myself and matt reviewed the album it's been a sort of up and down decade and it looked like at the very very start of the 2010s they were going to be an arena download mm. new metallica or whatever you want to call it kind of band and it's not really happened due to them 
decided not to play festivals due to some of the weird stylistic decisions that they have made due to who knows changing tastes and apathy and stuff and i look at it and i go are you now a sort of an established arena band probably not so for them to do an arena tour in the uk even with a monomath who are a very very strong support for them to be ringing with them it's uh ambitious so i would wonder what the crowd was like at wembley because obviously when they did wembley back in 2011 i want to say late 2011 yeah it would have been 2011 Devil yeah. driver yeah uh obviously you know people said wow that's what did them for the download headliner because they didn't pull in enough people and i mm. wonder if they did they wouldn't have and did now but look you know that i feel that they they're they're back on the sort of rise again so it'd be interesting it's maybe come too close to the album coming out i think when people do realize just how very very good this new machine album is I think people might start coming back around to them because I left it too late. So I didn't go to the Wembley show and I, I am really struggling with stuff just being open again now because I, mean, I know it's been ages, but I can't remember when anything's happening. I haven't got a fucking clue when anyone's playing. I'm going to see Soul Glow tomorrow. And I had no idea that that was even, I was like, oh shit. Yeah, that's this week, isn't it? And then I thought it was holy. Like, oh God, I don't know. My, cal- my calculator, my calculator and my calendar, both of them are all over the fucking shop. So I miss Machine Head, but I would have been interested. I think next time I'll definitely want to see it. When they come round again, mm. 100% I want to see it. So um, yeah, good. Good. Right. We've got 10 metal albums to get through. And this is what's been going on in metal over the past what month and a bit i suppose but starting with an album which comes out today if you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out oh god how the fuck <laughs> do you say this title Opsvers contra natvram by behemoth that is what you're getting that's my first go at doing it it's a 12th studio album from the woke hating polish blackened death metal legends the follow-up to their much more catchy for them i loved it your darkest album from 2018 um behemoth 10 years ago just under 10 years ago uh were tipped as being sort of the future of extreme metal and they were going to be the biggest band in extreme metal and the fact that they're going on to play brixton academy soon again don't know the date because i don't know when anything's happening but they're going to be doing like possibly what you could say is the biggest extreme metal headline performance of any band ever in the history of this island soon so that's that's pretty mad that they're going to be headlining Brixton Academy. Although saying that, there's been quite a lot of criticism of Behemoth, not even just Behemoth, but of Nurgle mm. in the past few years. I mean, I know, let's get this out of the way. I don't think, they're not, they haven't been in, uh, reviewed in this album, in the latest Metal Hammer by all accounts. Um, I don't think Metal Hammer are actually going to cover Behemoth anymore. And I have to say, it's not me being like, oh, it's stupid or whatever. I don't know why that is. I genuinely don't know what Nurgle has done but I feel like you've got thoughts on that at least haven't you Sam yeah so we were talking um the other day uh about kind of my relationship with Behemoth more well broadly um I got into them uh, probably about 2011 sort of when uh Nurgle's leukemia battle was you know a, a big story basically when they were being reported on I thought oh I should check this band out like they sound like they're good you know kind of Polish black and death metal Spit up to Lamer Six and um, Evangelion and everything. Listen to them. Great. And then the Satanist came about. Fucking brilliant. And I loved Behemoth for a really, really long time. And absolutely loved I Loved You at Your Darkest. Not to the same extent as the Satanist. And then in the wake of that, some of Nurgle's kind of provocateurism that he's been leaning into online 
I don't know, in the climate that it was happening in, it really didn't sit well with me. So particularly there was one during, um, showing my football ignorance, a World Cup. Poland were knocked. 2018 World Cup. Nice. Poland against Senegal. I I know it was Poland against Senegal because he posted a rather offensive picture of the Senegalese team um, basically being portrayed as kind of slaves and um, people selling, you know, kind of knickknacks on beachfronts and stuff like that and it was all very 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 unpleasant and then you know he's gone on with his um kill antifa kill him dead thing and it's like i don't know i just think it's quite a dangerous rhetoric i know he's not a massive massive star but it's like i don't know so in those those kind of seeds in the underground it didn't really sit well with me um but i am surprised that they're not being covered by certain places i mean i do wonder if that's kind of internet ferrari around it i mean i know i certainly i feel like a muppet like when the behemoth thing happened and everything i remember sort of tweeting going oh i can't believe play people are like still supporting them and everything but i've grown up now basically um (laughs) i wonder if maybe i'm partly responsible for behemoth not being in hammer anymore Uh, i don't know i mean look you know i don't really know much about what he said i don't follow him on any social media I listen to Behemoth. I don't really pay that much attention to, particularly to what Nurgle says. I've always, you know, I interviewed him once. I thought he seemed like a nice enough dude, although that doesn't really mean anything at all, does it? Because a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Scott Kelly Mm. and he came across as an incredibly nice man. So, you know, that means absolutely nothing whatsoever. But, you know, I was interested to talk to Nurgle and uh, I got on rather well with him um, just on a sort of personal level. But, you know, I'm, I'm aware that that doesn't actually mean anything um i do think it's weird to um for the idea that somebody should lose their just in general the idea that somebody should lose their job because of something that they said on the internet i think is like is a bit weird Mm. like i you know i i understand that that's the way the world is now um i personally don't think that you should treat social media with such um importance that you would allow something like that to be anything really mm. i mean you know like i'm not putting you on the spot here sam but for example you know a, a couple of weeks ago when we did your top 20 albums you picked a david bowie album and you could go well david bowie's actually done things yeah. that could be yeah. considered much more more again <laughs> i think he's more than showed that the aftermath i, I think you know that that balance of good and bad mm. in in a human being i think you would look at David Bowie and go, he's done so much more good than he has bad that to define him by this one bad thing, I think is absolutely pathetically judgmental. Um, but you could go, he's actually done that in real life and Nurgle's he's just going out of his way it. on social media to wind you up. He's probably just trying to wind people up. And um, I don't know. I mean, is is this making uh, an excuse for those things? Uh, to be honest, I don't even know what half of them are. And I think, <laughs> like, I actually sort of work in the music industry and I don't know what half of the things that he's supposed to have done is. So people who just randomly listen to Behemoth, I mean, again, you know, it's that thing of not everybody pays mm. total attention to every aspect of the band they listen to. Having said that, they're a black metal band and... Um, I would just assume that every black metal band is either sort of Nazis or people going, stop being Nazis. And that's the only two things that they really ever talk about. Um, 
but then you know that's because i don't really care about black metal uh or have particularly any respect for it as a <laughs> as a musical genre at all to be honest so all the people that like it so um that's basically why i think i have a very very loose relationship with this type of music but i did think the satanist was really good musically oh, yeah. and that i am i am willing to go oh what a very very good record what a great record what a classic record what an immediately an album which just had the aura of classicness about it so if you're wondering why we're um covering behemoth and you think it's sort of reprehensible or anything like that it's mainly down to my ignorance and um i i don't really know what nurgle's meant to have done and to be honest if, if you're going to I probably won't read uh, any of the things that he did, so I'm happy yeah. to be completely unaware of it all, to be honest. And uh, yeah, that's sort of why we're covering it, basically. I just thought we should maybe flag that up at the mm -hmm. start. But do you feel comfortable and all right with covering Behemoth at this point? Oh, yeah. I suppose, yes, I do. I don't, I'm not like chomping at the bit to be shouting about how much I love Behemoth these days. Um, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about it because I think, um, obviously there's the whole art versus the art or separating the art from the artist argument and everything. And I was always very firmly, uh, kind of on the side of, well, art is a reflection of the person who makes it and they put so much of themselves into it more often than not mm. that I found it quite difficult to, or found it quite difficult to square that off. But, um, yeah. Surely depends on the artist, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. if you've got Bob Dylan then you go, well, Bob Dylan is, you know, that is very much his personality. Mm. But black metal, you go, it's a man in sort of clown makeup going, oh, Satan. Like, I don't think that's got anything to do with reality. So I think it's very easy to separate. Like, Nurgle doesn't walk around in a sort of, with horns on his head and like powder all over his face in a wood going, oh, Satan, in real life. Uh, what he is in real life is something completely different. So I think it's actually quite easy to separate these sort of cartoony black metal bands, um, the, the sort of cartoonish music of black metal, away from the actual people who make it, who are probably just really normal people. I do take your point. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Like, it is a kind of case-by-case -case basis. I don't think you can be fully one or the other. It can't be. No, no, all art is absolutely free of the creator's influence and that kind of pop in philosophy where the art is actually defined by the audience receiving it but at the same time it can't yeah it can't be a blanket statement either way i would say in terms of behemoth nurgle does very much present himself as an anti-christian kind of person like obviously he doesn't go around in his makeup in the woods yet drinking chalices of blood and everything but if you read um i don't know did you read his um autobiography that he wrote a few years ago no i didn't it's know. an interesting read at the very least i think there are parts of it that are really quite good and it is well written. Um, I'll lend it to you if you want at some point. I think you'd, you'd be interested to read it because he's definitely a fascinating character. But yeah, um, at, mm. I suppose going back to your question, am I comfortable covering this? Yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Okay, good. Right, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> That's now, the review. I'm going to say this. Thank you very much. I mean, we will get through it. We'll get to the music <laughs> now. But there's nothing wrong with this record. Here's I'm going to say uh, broadly as a blanket statement to open this review. There's nothing wrong with this record, but I do think like and this isn't really a criticism it's more like in its attempt to um uh, to reach the incredibly high standards that this band have set for themselves um it's the first time in a little while where i think it lacks the aura of a genuinely special record that is what i think i mean like i say that doesn't make this a bad record but i'm going to preface this review by saying that i don't believe this will be considered a 
classic part of the behemoth back catalog in the same way as the satanist um or like i really love evangeline as well i think that is fucking brilliant um and that doesn't make that doesn't make it a bad record that doesn't make it a bad record i think it's actually quite a good record but i think there's stuff like so the first song is called post god nirvana it's very big mm. it's very bombastic it's very dramatic it grabs you immediately but it taps into immediately taps into one of the slight flaws and i am going to keep hammering home that this is a slight flaw it's not really a problem but it's a slight flaw and i think that with what has gone before and with the standards that behemoth have set for themselves i think that often not even often actually occasionally this feels like something of a conscious effort to top what has gone before again that does not make it bad i just think it's clear that the attention the intention is to go we have to make this live up to the past as opposed to the artistic statement that you've made previously being something a bit more natural and i think there are occasions where that feels slightly forced slightly that is my biggest criticism of the record and it's not a massive one but that is my main criticism of the record i would before i get into yeah I, I would completely agree i think um i mean for me to be honest i think it's kind of signified by the production i think the production on this is a lot warmer than you'd expect for a band like behemoth particularly orion's bass coming through really you know really kind of cutting through the mix and everything not your traditional fairy in either black metal or death metal um but yeah from post god nirvana to me just the sound and the and the aura of it which i, I do agree was kind of lacking in it had <laughs> a kind of sense of grandiosity but it lacked the grandeur almost but um i think there's an implication that this album is going to be going for bigger and bombastic as a kind of extension of what they were doing on I Loved You at Your Darkest, which was in turn, I feel, a reaction to the Satanist because that was really a lightning in a bottle moment. But yeah, I don't think, is this going to be considered part of a three-album curve or four-album curve in Behemoth's case? I don't think so. But it is good. Mm. I mean, look, you know, there is stuff on it that I love. Malaria vulgari, vul, vulgarita sorry, is great, which just comes straight in, stabs straight through, and all that kind of drama and bombast from before is gone. And it is replaced with just pure brutality. Nile, it reminded me of Nile style guitar parts and those massive drum rolls that you'd hear on a Nile album with these kind of screaming, pounding Kerry King style mm. solos and leads. It's just over two minutes. And I was like, wow, that was fucking awesome. That was awesome. Um, the There's a song called the, the Deathless Sun. Again, it goes back to the more dramatic part of behemoth but it's got a hook and there's not many hooks in this and that kind of i am nothing over that tremolo pick bit is just fucking great um neo spartacus i thought is amazing it's got the bass where everything drops out and the bass mm. just comes in it actually reminded me of the gentle art of making enemies by <laughs> yeah not, as a yeah, little yeah. nod which you know like again is not the sort of thing you you compare a sort of blackened death metal band to but it did have a bit of that in it i think there are loads of moments on this which are really great off to war that opening galloping riff punctuated by those massive sort of rhythmic stabs is fantastic and to me it sounds like a straight heavy mm. metal song it's not an extreme metal song it's not a black metal song it's not a death metal song it's pure judas priest it's pure iron maiden but with the addition of the string sort of the strings and the, the orchestral parts which behemoth have done before but you put that in a more prominent role with a more traditional sounding heavy metal thing and just crank up 
the sort of evilness of it all and it's great you know there's a bit where they have this massive solo and then it all drops out and that riff just chugs along beneath it and it sounds fucking amazing and i love that i absolutely love that um and i think the final song on the record versus christius which is the only song over six minutes to sort of add to what you were saying sam about it being um more of a reaction to the stuff from a satanist or a continuation i mean again you know they're going to play brixton they're going to be playing big venues and there's lots of big bombasty stuff on here and there's lots of stuff that you would listen to and you'd go that's quite instantaneous for this type of music and it will translate to mm. festival stages and support slops with slipknot and you know brixton academy and all that kind of stuff and it's the only song over six well it's the only song over five minutes on the record and i think it's a brilliant way to end the album it does have that special quality that satan has had slow brooding evil and yet when the heavy bits come in and the choir behind nurgle when you have this kind of vocal choir that comes in behind nurgle and makes him sound like some sort of demon it's fucking great i think this is a record with some exceptional moments on it really really exceptional moments and this is not as good as a satanist it's not as good as maybe even evangelion but it might be as good as i love you at your darkest it might even be better uh i think that's a very fair yeah fair kind of um comparison yeah i think i loved you at your darkest is obviously its closest bedfellow um i mean for me you know you're saying sort of you know straight heavy metal stuff in a kind of extreme metal guys i think so much of this album shades its dna with just rock and roll just like absolutely rock songs you know when you get something like uh once upon a pale horse which i think actually shares you know perhaps a bit too closely um it's kind of structure to of my herculean exile which was the most recent single i think um mm. you know it's got those creeping clean guitars at the beginning but then it turns into for me a four chord rock banger and you know bangers are not what you associate extreme metal with let alone you know behemoth's brand of extreme metal although i suppose after the last album with things like bart sabelle and stuff like that i mean yeah they are clearly going for stuff that will translate to bigger stages i think you're absolutely right um versus christus i think is an interesting one i think it's a good ender and i i'm almost remiss to kind of make this comparison because i I feel like it could be such an easy thing for the satanist to become a bit of an albatross around behemoth's neck but i was listening to it and i think while it has got a more mainstream, I guess, sensibility to it, it did just make me want to go and listen to A Father, A Satan, No Son again, which I think does everything that this does to the nth degree better, but it does lack that kind of, I don't know, big stadium quality. Although, to be fair, I saw um, saw Behemoth on the Satanist tour and they played a pretty big venue. I was living in Rotterdam at the time. Played a big old venue in Utrecht, which is probably... 12 to 1500 cap and it was like it swallowed that venue so i don't know if i'm that taken with versus christus as a song but i think as a live experience it'd be brilliant um i think the only one that i think sticks out like a real sore thumb on this album is um disinheritance which i think is a straight extreme metal song that feels like the kind of fly in the ointment um almost like they're trying to appease the people who are gonna you know naturally say oh you've sold out you've cut your hair like metallica in 1996 um obviously not done that there's still quite a deeply unpleasant record at times even with that warmer production that you get but you know it's all relative um yeah this feels like it kind of leans more into the theologian apoplexy of their kind of 2014 and prior stuff so much more readily and so much more viscerally but um yeah i think this is a really good album i think it's probably the album they needed to make i, mm, I think i probably do prefer it to i loved you at your darkest but i actually think 
I don't like I Loved You at Your Darkest quite as much as I did when it was released. It's not an album I go back to so often as I thought I might. Yeah, me too. I mean, look, that, that Disinheritance album, uh, album uh, song, it, it was a little bit forgettable due to mm. it just being fairly behemoth by numbers. And I think there totally. was an occasional bit of behemoth by numbers on this record. Um, you know, you mentioned of my Herculean Exile, and that is very, very typically mid-paced behemoth of the last, like, just under a decade, like you say. Mm. But I think it does... The thing is, is it sets them apart from their peers. And I'm not even really sure who their peers are at this point. I mean, they're very good at having that dripping with evil mm. feel, even when it's not actually like stupendously heavy. Um, and I think of my Herculean Exiles shows quite a lot of restraint. Uh, and there is a fair bit of this that shows restraint that I that I quite like. But then often I am like, go 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 just do the big do, do the big thing but then when they do sometimes i'm like oh it's just sort of behemoth by numbers mm. so i think it's hard these are hard records to get right really really hard records to get right um yeah i think probably is the album that they needed to make because like you say i think it's it's more instantaneous it's more um broad for this type of music i think it like does again lean more into rock and roll and it leans more into classic heavy metal mm. but it still sounds like you say deeply deeply unpleasant um and yeah i don't really know who behemoth's peers are i don't really know who i could kind of compare them to that would feel like a really good it's like spot on comparison they're not exactly they're not mole and they're not walls in the throne room and they're not dimmy borg here and they're not they're not dark thrown are they like what are, you know what are they who they're not devil driver either like what are they what exactly are behemoth it's quite they're quite a sort of unusual little band mm. um so yeah like you know like artistically speaking i think they have captured something again but then it feels like that's quite a natural thing for them to capture look this is good this record i think this is really good i think is it an absolute classic I don't think it's an absolute classic. I think this is an 8 out of 10. Yeah, just about an 8 out of 10 mm. record, which I think is about the same as the last album. I just think the last album came and you, I, I think you give them a bit more rope because they're having to follow the Satanist last time. Mm. So you're like, oh, well, you know, like that's an impossible bar to leap over. And it's still an impossible bar to leap over because they haven't done it at all really. But it doesn't really feel like this is a massive stylistic change in direction it's just a a good behemoth album you know which is at this point in their career i think absolutely fine i think we might be saying that quite a lot in this episode but anyway <laughs> opsver contra natvram by behemoth is out right now and you, you might as well go and listen to it uh let's go on to a band who i do love a lot clutch slaughter on sunrise beach is the 13th studio album from the maryland based southern rock band Seems like that's not really called them a rock band. They are a rock band. Mm. There's more to it than that. Obviously, the follow-up to 2018's A Book of Bad Decisions record. Clutch are great. They sound like Clutch. They've had a few sonic deviations over the years. Good for them. Even their last album, Book of Bad Decisions, brought in some horns and stuff, which was cool. And I was sort of wondering to myself, like, what could Clutch do to keep themselves sounding fresh? And truthfully, again, kind of like we just said, not a lot, really. But... 
it's weird in this case i don't strictly think it matters as much because clutch are sort of they are the poster children for um just consistency within a within a back catalog and so i sort of knew what i was going to get and i sort of enjoyed the fact that i knew what i was going to get because when i got it i went great that's what i thought i was going to get and that's kind of what i wanted and that's sort of what this album is really isn't it yeah totally i mean yeah clutch are fabulously consistent it was funny i was um thinking it's sort of in the run-up to this it's like well how am i going to approach this in the review because i was thinking do i really know clutch all that well because they're a band that kind of go back to the singles of quite often you know fairly frequently uh song like x-ray visions is on near constant rotation every year because it's just just fucking brilliant um and then i was looking at their discography and i was like hang on i have listened to everything they've done from elephant riders all the way up to and including psychic warfare i must confess i didn't actually listen to book of bad decisions when it came out well and i still haven't because you know it came out in 2018 which is something of a banner year so it really passed me by but um i mean maybe there's a missing link there because when i put this on i mean yeah it is a clutch album there's a few bells and whistles that may be a little different but it is ostensibly a clutch album however when red alert boss metal zone comes in i was slightly surprised that neil fallon isn't doing his absolute swivel-eyed crazy sort of preacher man thing i felt like he and it's kind of indicative of the record as a whole i felt like it was all quite paired back by clutch's standards like it's still a balls to the walls rock album but it feels a bit more considered um to me and i would argue i wonder if this is clutch kind of approaching what might be their latter era and they're preempting sort of growing old gracefully by laying the groundwork now by doing a slightly a slightly less kind of intense record by their standards yeah i mean it it definitely isn't the most intense clutch record that's for sure but then i think when you look at an album like strange cousins from the west Mm. because you know clutch got what started basically as, as a hardcore band and then were a sort of stoner rock band and then found that kind of southern fried manic preacher groove thing and then started to sort of pair it back a bit on bill street to oblivion Mm. and then completely pair it back on strange cousins from the west which felt like maybe they were doing it a little bit too early in their career at that point because they come back with earth rocker they come back with psychic warfare you're like fucking great fucking great and then book of bad decisions very very good as Mm. well um and yeah like this is not the like you say the swivel-eyed you know um tongue talking neil fallon of yore mm. it, it, it is but he's so good oh, he's fucking great that he doesn't need to do, like it you miss it a bit i think i did actually think that because i haven't actually written this down but now you've said it i'm like yeah there's something about this record that is it's not quite as ferocious mm. as, as clutch can be i mean i think you mentioned the opener red alert and it's two minutes and 45 seconds long it's got the groove of all grooves to end all grooves on it and it does a lot in its brief runtime and it's really really great i thought slaughter beach had this kind of cky riff to it now i've never particularly liked cky but they did have a very distinct guitar tone and clutch you know obviously they have a bit of that in their blues rocking background but it's something definitely a little bit different and neil fallon not really going mental but still on top form with like economic casualties, you blue-blooded freaks mm. and lyrics like that. You know, it is really, really good. 
But actually, I did find myself every time I went, oh, that's interesting. That's that. It, it, it was, it's usually Neil Fallon. Yeah, yeah, right? for sure. And that's with no fucking disrespect to, you know, John Paul Gaster on drums, who I think is possibly the most underrated drummer in the history of rock music. <laughs> um, Tim Salt and guitar, who is, always does amazing fucking just an absolute riff machine like clutch are great right they, they're, they're fucking great but then something like mountain of bone that sounds like it starts like a sort of classic ozzy osbourne track mm. that's got a kind of 80s rock sort of suave shuffle to it and again you know jp jp gaster on that track is so great and you don't even you don't really have the big quotable hooks that clutch are known for but yeah i still found myself going oh that's quite mm. good and that's and, and and actually neil fallon stepping back a little bit on this record really accentuates how good a band musically clutch are i think yeah for sure completely agree um i mean i think um it's not one of the songs where neil fallon does step back um but actually i think the band comes to the fore so well on well what i think is undeniably the album's center point um not just because it's literally the middle song, but Mercy Brown. Mercy Brown. Which I think is. It's funny. When I was listening to this for the first time, um, so you get Nosferatu Madre as the fourth song, which is just a big stoner stomp, and it goes hard, and it's that shamanic kind of leaf hailing that you do expect from kind of Clutch's earlier stuff, but they've still got a bit of that like hinted in there. And then you get Mercy Brown, which is a kind of, I don't know, jangly guitar jaunt it's got a tolling bell at the start it sets you in a kind of small western town on the day of a funeral or something like that and i thought this is a weird about turn in this record i'm not sure that this works and by the time i got to the end of the song i was like oh my fucking god this is absolutely amazing absolutely amazing i think um it's got a really strange sort of jubilant melancholy to it and i think as a dynamic counterpoint in the record it came in exactly when it was needed because after that you get some more rock and roll as fuck sort of bangers motorhead from the wild west kind of thing well i was going to say they follow it up they follow that up and it is definitely probably probably definitely that's a shit thing to say it's definitely the most involving mm. song on the record i would say and then you get we strive for excellence which is you know less than 3 minutes an absolute banger um they add in a touch of that 70s cop show thing that they did on book about decisions on skeletons and mars except this time they set it on mars in the universe <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's really cool i think it's a little bit clutched by numbers by the last in the last couple yeah, of songs yeah i think um i think oh, it, gone. yeah oh i was gonna say that that's it really i think it's a little bit like you know this is nine songs you know it's not the longest album which i am more than happy to have in my life because I, I we're going to be saying this a fair bit after this album 13 songs 14 songs however many fucking songs when you are an established band you, you you've got to stop doing yeah. this you've got to stop it and so thank god clutch have only got nine songs on the record but even then i think like the last two do feel a bit like well we can't just have seven songs so we better have a couple more in the end and i think it, it does fizzle out a little bit but this is good i completely agree i think this is a good clutch album it's another good clutch album but yeah i think yeah three golden horns and yeah that that is very much a clutch by numbers that does feel like a kind of last minute inclusion to just push it over the half hour mark um to be honest actually jack hammer and names i quite liked because um it's got that real kind of dour clutch feeling like you get on Mercy Brown. Um, and I actually think it sounds like quite an angry track. And I was reminded of um, 
when we were uh, when you were talking about um Jarvis Cocker being so kind of seethingly angry on different class but without having to scream and shout I thought there was a little bit of that actually it kind of it sounds like he's singing through gritted teeth at times um it's not the best song on the album but I, I actually quite like that as a closer I thought it was interesting but yes um nine songs 33 minutes brilliant and it's shorter than McCluskey do Dallas which is the perfect length for an album so good <laughs> yeah exactly look I mean this is not ever going to be anyone's favorite no. clutch album I can't imagine that. I just can't. I think even if you'd never heard Clutch before and you listened to this and you were like, wow, this band are amazing. Let me go and listen to the rest mm. of their back catalogue. Pretty much the first thing that someone says to you, maybe you should listen to that, whether it be Blast Tyrant or Elephant Riders or Pure Rock Fury or whatever, uh, or Psychic mm. Warfare, I think you're probably going to go, oh, actually, that is a bit better, isn't it? So I think, you know, again, 13 albums in, it's hard to make a classic. Mm. It's hard to make a classic album, 13 albums in, when you are so, you know, the first two bands that we've, we've picked here are so distinct. They have their own distinct style so much that I think it almost becomes very, very difficult to force your way out of quite a tight box that you've created for yourself. And you've created your own mm. box and no one else is in it. But yeah, it, it, it's difficult. But Clutch are still, you know, you can't really have a go at Clutch who have, basically remained incredibly creative and relevant for nearly 30 mm. years uh be silly to sort of be like i want a new sounding <laughs> clutch now you don't you want fucking clutch yeah. bangers and you've got a few of them here fucking great they'll stick them in the live set and they'll be excellent so there you go it is called sunrise on slaughter beach and it's by clutch that is also out today as well now this came out a week or so ago we've got to cover it he's the godfather of heavy metal after all patient number nine by ozzy osbourne 13th studio album by uh well from ozzy osbourne you know who ozzy osbourne is you know it's a follow-up to 2020's ordinary man and i tell you what that came around fucking quick mm. didn't it two years between ozzy albums after long 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 gaps in his discography over the years uh he did say when ordinary man came out that he would be getting to the follow-up super quick and I was like, well, everyone says that, don't they? But, you know, here we are. We've got it. Lucky uh, us. New Aussie album. <laughs> Lucky us. Now, Sam, talk to me about Aussie and your feelings on Aussie's solo material. Not um, Black Sabbath. Solo yeah, you've caught me out there because I was going to say how much, like every sane person on the planet, I love those first six Sabbath albums. Uh, Aussie's solo material is not something I've ever found myself particularly taken by. Even the kind of classic 80s material, you know, Blizzard of Oz and Bark at the Moon, it's never really done that much for me. Um, and I think in part, for me, Aussie's solo material, even though I think, you know, well, in terms of album sales, I think most of his albums did better than any of those original Black Sabbath albums did. Um, so obviously loads of other people liked it but um, yeah for me it kind of I think it began to show that Ozzy is quite often the weak link of the music he's involved in I don't think he's a naturally gifted songwriter um, because you know after the sort of classic lineup you know fell apart after the you know tragic death of Randy Rhodes and everything and then various contributors coming in and going out I mean how much classic Ozzy material is there well, really, post, well, post what, 1987, 88, whenever? Uh, I, you know, I personally am a, a bit of a sucker for Perry Mason in that whole osmosis time. But then I suppose that's when I first discovered Aussie's solo material. So maybe I'm a wee bit biased. Maybe, maybe. But I mean, you know, 
people, you know, people understandably love Ozzy. I don't think it's just a reverential thing because he was part of Sabbath. I think people do genuinely really like and gravitate towards his music because it is basically just big hard rock bangers. Um, Do I really need a new Ozzy album in 2022? You know, I mean, not to keep beating the Sabbath drum, but like when Sabbath came back with 13, I mean, that, you know, it was it was it was a disappointment let's be honest it mm. was not good like i know lots of people like to think of it as one of the great comeback albums of all time but it really isn't so yeah i i'll be honest i didn't listen to i think i listened to the singles from scream which was 2010 was it yeah yeah i listened to singles from that and i was like nah uh ordinary man came around and i was just like no need no need i wouldn't have listened to this if you didn't want to review it to be honest mate fair okay well that's fine um I'm gonna say that I'm in, and I'm I'm I don't know if I'm in the same boat as you, but I may be kind of paddleboarding alongside it, right? Because I prefer Black Sabbath to Ozzy Osbourne, of course I do, mm. and I never really was like huge on Ozzy solo material really up until I was probably about twenty six, twenty seven. I liked Perry Mason and there were bits and bobs. I remember hearing Osmosis and being like, that's all right. But then you get into heavier stuff and you go, ah, nah, 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 there's bloody Machine Head and Corn and all that kind of stuff now, like fucking bo- bollocks of this. But actually going back to Aussie stuff, I think he's got a really good back catalogue. He's got a really good greatest hits back catalogue of stuff, Aussie. And I was surprised at how good Ordinary Man sounded. And although it goes without saying, this album is... 61 minutes and 10 seconds long and it does not need to be anywhere near that length whatsoever it does not it could you know i think if i was to say it could chop a quarter of the album's running time off Mm. it could chop a quarter of the album's running time off and it could chop some more off after that as well (laughs) i mean the, the minimum it should be cutting off is 15 minutes the absolute minimum i think there is a really satisfying level of meaty production here on this album ozzy as a vocalist as a performer you know as a person he's 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 in a lot of health troubles he is Mm -hmm. way past his best and he needs propping up and he needs help and i think the production on this is dead good i think the first song is great it does not need to be seven minutes long no no it does not. it does not need to be seven minutes long at all but like a lot of Ozzy Osbourne albums the music here and the production it saves it from Ozzy uh because I think Ozzy his voice is obviously he will not sound like this live of course he won't he won't sound anything like this live but I think you get stuff like um you know the second song great bass line great riff working in tandem together on immortal mike mccready from pearl jam coming in sounds ace and classic aussie but the thing about aussie is which i think is slightly underrated about him is he can pen a catchy as fuck melody even if he can't sing it anymore mm. he can imagine it even if he can't actually sing it he can imagine it um when eric clapton turns up and to give him his credit eric clapton you know you listen to the song he's on and you can tell it's Eric Clapton mm. because it's boring and rubbish. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I jest. I mean, look, it's not a great song particularly, but the kind of hey, hey, um, 60s psych uh, vocal hook on it is super catchy. And nothing feels right. The Lennon, the Lennony, John Lennony chorus on it. 
I think is great. I, you know, I think, you know, obviously it runs out of steam. There's a song called God Only Knows, which sounds like fucking meatloaf. But there are hooks on here. You know, I think Degradation Rules when Tony comes back again, because I think the first time Iomi comes along, it's a bit ploddy. And I know Ozzy's got to have some sort of ploddier, slower material on for for the live show, but I think there's no excuse for that on, on the record. I think when Iomi comes back in on Degradation Rules, the riff is really fucking good. It sounds like a really good Iomi riff. You know, fair play to Ozzy. He sounds, this, this sounds like an Aussie album. It sounds like a modern sounding Aussie album. Is it his best? Definitely not. Is it a classic? Absolutely not. But it's, I think it's way better than it has any right to be whatsoever. And it's got hooks. It's got actual fucking hooks. They won't sound like this live, <laughs> but on records, I think it sounds really good, to be honest. Um, I completely agree in terms of the production. I think the production does save it from what, you know, by all rights, should have been quite a poor performance from Ozzy. And to be fair to him, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised to find out there'd been some studio trickery and some post-production cleaning done. But he sounds quite good. You cynic. What a cynical world we live in when a man accuses a legend like Ozzy Osbourne of not sounding like he does on record. That's madness. Yeah, no, you're right. Actually, yeah, we should just give all legends a pass like the four and five stars it has been getting everywhere. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, <laughs> Ozzy does sound, he sounds good. Like his vocals sound quite, well, they sound quite good, I would say. Um... I think it's interesting where you say about um, sort of Ozzy's ability as a songwriter and kind of, you know, penning a melody and stuff, which, you know, he has proven in the past. Um, I think there are hooks on here. I don't know that that many of them really grab me. I mean, for me, there's one standout track and it is immortal, basically, because it's short and it's got a good propulsive riff on it. I like that song. Um, The rest of it, most of it passes me by. um, And the bits that do grab me are usually for the wrong reasons, like degradation rules. I think I don't, want to hear a 73 year old man talking about autoerotic autoerotic asphyxiation for the subject of his song no i don't need that i'm sorry i don't need that however going back to the songwriting point um i don't know if you looked at the songwriting credits for each track so i was curious as to sort of how involved each of the you know the different um contributors and stuff were the people who were noted as a feature and then just to see who the backing band is this day these days you know, there's loads of people who appear on different tracks who aren't credited as a featured artist. The one that I came across was um, Ali Tamposi, which was not a name I'd heard before. Um, do you know Ali Tamposi? Um, I feel like I know the name, but no, I don't know that I do. Um, she's an American songwriter, um, best known. I mean, she's written a lot of songs, uh, but she's best known for co-writing um, Stronger by Kelly Clarkson and Young Blood by Five Seconds of Summer. Um, the Prince of Darkness, indeed. And, you know, I think those hooks, they probably were a collaborative effort. And yeah, there, there are some good melodies on here. I don't think that, I mean, this the album really doesn't need to be this long. And most of the songs don't need to be the length they are. I mean, particularly, as you say, the opening track, page number nine. Why is that over seven minutes long when nothing happens in it? Like nothing changes until about the sixth minute. And then you get a slightly different riff and then it goes back to the same thing. I mean, that you know. This happens with all legacy acts and bands and things like that, is that they get to a point where they're in serious need of an editor who will tell them, no, get rid of that, cut that, chop that, remix that, etc. But unfortunately, they get to this kind of stature where they are just unquestionably revered. That is true. Yeah, that is true. I mean, look, this needs some fucking proper cutting down. 
serious, mm. serious cutting down. Yeah. Uh, definitely. I think there's about six songs that have hooks big enough to justify it being an, it could be an eight song album that you go, God, that's really good. Uh, and it would still not be perfect. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I like you. I went into this expecting nothing. I had very low expectations, which is a real shame because, you know, I do love Ozzy's tenure in Sabbath. You know, I, he is, he's a legend, but I mean, you can't exist on legacy forever. No, you can't. You rest can't. on your laurels for this long. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think that's harsh to say he's resisting his, his rest on his laurels. I think like, yes, it's too long. Yes, it needs some serious editing. Yes, he won't sound like this live, but it's a good sounding record. And Ozzy's hooks i would say half of the hooks on this record when the hooks are good they're really good i know you've mentioned one i think there's a few i think a bit mm -hmm. i think that's slightly um i like i feel like i i don't know like i do i think there's i think nothing feels right as that is a massive hook that's a massive hook it's in my head right now as i i think about it i don't think it's a an incredible song and it's you know five and a half minutes long it doesn't need to be it could be three minutes no. 45 really yes but I think the hook itself, you know, did Ozzy write it? Did Ali Tamposi write it? I mean, I look at just was looking at Ali Tamposi's writing credits, and there, there's a lot of stuff that she's she's done, yeah. So like, you know, she's not an idiot, and he's got like, no, you know, no, um, Duff McKagan is is a writer on it. Taylor Hawkins uh, has, mm. has written a couple of songs as well, three songs on here. So you know, um, it it's maybe it's because I went into it going steal yourself because Oz is just not good. Even after the last album being all right, like far better mm. than I thought it was going to be. You know, you just look at Ozzy and stuff, you think like, is this guy going to come up with great music in 2022? No, probably not. And so that was sort of how I went into it. And I think it's all right. I think it's all right. But it is too long. I mean, it's it's so too long. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say this is sort of just below the par of all right for me. And... I think, yeah, okay, yeah, so resting on his laurels is harsh because he's not just doing what he was doing with Sabbath, you know, he's not, you know, he has tried to do different things across his career successfully to um, to a greater or lesser degree, um, but I just think, like, it's, again, putting musicians on a pedestal, which is a really, really irritating thing, um, broadly anyway, but this album's really highlighted it for me, and it's like, this is an Aussie album in 2022 that is too long, it's it's very wildly inconsistent in terms of quality. I don't yep. think that's unfair to say. Nope. And yet it's getting eight out of ten across the board. And it's like, well, if this came from, I don't know, if this came from a pub band who just got their first major record label deal or something like that, this would not be getting the respect it's being given. No, it's true. What would you give it out of ten? Oh God, I think if I was being kind, I'd maybe give it a five. Yeah, I'd give it a five. Yeah, but I think I'd have to be in a good mood when I was filing my copy that day. So not today then. <laughs> um, not today. Anyway, Patient Number Nine by Ozzy Osbourne is out now. Oh, also, what's with all the um, Monty Python shit on it? All the fucking oh, end uh, that fucking that's the worst thing. That right? can piss right off. Yeah, I mean, yeah, God, yeah. absolutely. He, he's going Mummy for the like, after songs. It's like, what are you doing? Shut up! The yeah. song's over. Like, no one needs to hear this. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. That's about 15 minutes you could cut out right there. Yeah. Patient number nine 
Biology Osborne is out now. <laughs> Put your fingers in your ear to the end of each song for like three seconds, and you might have to hear those bits if you haven't listened yeah. to it. Let's move on to our next record, which comes out today if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, the Devil Wears Prada, Color Decay, the eighth studio album from the Ohio Metalcore Stalwarts to follow up to their 2019 album, The Act. Now, The Devil Wears Prada, gods in the world of metalcore um, in many ways modern metalcore particularly i think now the devil's prada yeah they were they were a big deal for a little bit weren't they? they were considered the kind of exceptional upcoming artist in that scene around the sort of late 2000s and i actually got their 2011 album dead throne i think it was in my top 20 albums of the year that year i actually really liked it but that was pretty much all that i really knew or know about this band really I haven't gone back and listened to Dead Throne, although I do remember quite liking it. I had a few years where I listened to it a lot. They did something a few years later, and I was a bit like, well, I'm not as keen on this. So I wonder, would I like it today? Who knows? I don't know. We can't answer that question because I haven't listened to it. I can let you know if you're really, really, really keen for me to know. But I know they had a bunch of metalcore kids get snippy um, in the aftermath of that because they went kind of proper metal for a while, didn't they? It's like wearing denim jean jackets and they uh they grew their hair out long and um the metalcore kids got a bit snippy because they didn't have the right haircut or some shit because you know people who like metalcore are cunts and i hate this i'm just gonna say it now sam i fucking hate this album i hate it it's really obvious it's piss weak it's paper thin it's wank it's a load of old wank yeah yeah i mean (laughs) You said, oh, should we, we'll do the Devil Wears Prada, that's out this Friday. Um, can I start this review, Steve, by asking, why Why did you want to cover this? And that's not meant to be an antagonistic or targeted thing. I am genuinely curious why you thought this would fit into this week's show at all. Well, because I looked at stuff like Behemoth and Clutch and Ozzy and Megadeth and The Who and some of the other things that we're going to talk about, which are slightly less well-known. And I mm. thought to myself, what's a, a broad spread of what metal looks like? in the last couple of months and we thought about doing bloodbath but i was like well we've got two or three really quite extreme sounding records um and i thought we haven't really got anything that represents that sort of um side of rock and metal in this part of the review and i thought to myself well devil wears prada everything i know about them is that they sort of eschewed that scene that they came from and tried to do something a bit different and also i had memories of going i quite like this when dead throne came out and so you know i i thought to myself having not listened to it i was like let's try it let's give it a go they're a band that are respected within this world it's not a world that i've particularly interested in particularly at this point but maybe just maybe since they are so well respected they might actually be quite good and they're not they're crap. Um, and the yeah. second it started with a little wet riff and then the, the vocals are like bit annoyed, bit annoyed, really, really, really annoyed and then really sad. I was like, oh no, oh no. Is it going to be like this all the way through? And it is. Um, the second song, Salt, sounds like that's the spirit era, bring me the horizon. If um, they couldn't write choruses at all, it's terrible. Um I mean, there's a song called Watchflower that comes after it, which is going for something a little heavier. Fine. I'm going to give that the softest of passes. But just for having a siren in the background and then the lyrics go, can you hear the sirens racing? 
they lose a point for me there because yeah i can hear them you've put them on the track you've put them on the track and now you're asking me if i can hear them can you hear our shit guitar riff that sounds like architects yeah yeah because you've written that and recorded it and put it on your album so yeah i can hear it the devil wears prada um so yeah that's why i've decided to sort of bring it in just for something a little bit different i didn't know it was going to be this crap sam i didn't know no that's totally fair as i say it wasn't done in a kind of like oh sneery way it was just i was genuinely curious why why you thought to do this because i have heard more recent devil wears prada material i listened to the act in 2019 and i could assure you that that was comfortably the worst album i heard that year so i went into this on the back foot i'll be honest i was like i don't like this band not expecting big things and my word they really really managed to fall short of my very very low expectations um I don't think there's a lot to say about this album. It's just generic kind of radio rock, metalcore, emo kind of wetness. It's all really shit. It's got a real kind of pro-tooled production. I hope they kept the receipt for that because it doesn't even sound that good. It's just quite clean. Um, can I tell you my favourite track? Because it is so staggeringly shite. Um, Go on. I wonder if we're going to have the same one. 25. Did you, did you recall that one at all? Uh, is it the one that goes is that one was that yeah it? you got you've got it spot on yeah, actually yeah, oh no wait that's all of them that's um, every single song on this record yeah it's it's the one that is la dispute but even more mawkish and unbearable it's just a a man screaming over a piano um but you get to this bit where he goes by April the snow was melting oh, it's fucking <laughs> hilarious mate it's so funny it's like uh. that that's a song where okay if you'd written that after your first breakup when you were 14 you'd kind of let you get away with it and you'd be like i'm not going to bring that up again because i know you'll be embarrassed about that in a few years but these people are in their 30s this is this album is actually pathetic um fucking i mean to be honest going through you know making my notes and everything got to the point where i was like i'm just going to put a silly word at the end of my little kind of reminder as to what the track's like and then by the time we got to cancer i put nothing to say with this one uh, i'll just go with poo willy bum fuck off you dreary bellens yeah fair i mean look yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna do a little bit of the good stuff there's quite a good riff on the song noise and the chorus of the song that sounds like a sort of baby touche amour which is trapped is okay mm. but then there are other things is there anything on the planet worse than the metalcore ballad? I'm not sure there is. And there's a song on this called Broken, and it's dire. Of course, when metalcore is done right, it can convey emotion <laughs> better than any other genre. Sure, of course it can. There's a song called yeah. Fire that uses that pop thing and puts auto-tune on his vocals. And it's like, lads, you are not good enough to do that. I appreciate you being so blatant mm. at bandwagoneering and bandwagon hopping, but you are not good enough to do it. I mean, it's a brilliant admittance that you are hack, fucking shite hack cunts. Like, I, so thank you for making that so obvious for people who didn't quite get it after the first seven tracks. But <laughs> you're awful at that. Do not do that. Yeah, the people who were who were not there already. Um, I mean. To be fair to Fire, there was a point in it quite near the beginning where it's like, oh, hang on. Are we getting a bit of fucking self-awareness from the Devil Wears Prada? Because there's a lyric that's the pain, the tribute and recycled songs. And it's like, yeah, oh, no, no, I didn't no, pick we're up not. On that oh, yeah. Because it all just sounded like <laughs> to me. But um, yeah, every song title is one word apart from 25, which is hyphenated, which shows absolutely no imagination. And the songs are called things like Fire, Cancer, Noise, 
whatever word will make people go oh this must be a serious subject it's called cancer and th- that chorus i hope that it's cancer and not something else yeah we've all been there and <laughs> we mate we've all been there i mean look i don't really have anything else to say about this record but i'm going to leave the end of this review i'm going to posit a question devil wears prada of course known for being a kind of christian metalcore band if god was real would he really let your band be this shit Devil Wears Prada, album worth nada, more like. <laughs> One out of ten, fuck off, you're yeah. rubbish. And you could be like, oh, what a surprise. You reviewed a modern metalcore album and you're just slagging it off. i tell you what, if any of you think that, suggest a good one of these albums for me to listen to. Suggest a good one of these albums for me to listen to. Because if this is, like, the, the, one of the best of these bands, of course I'm not going to like it. Of course I'm not going to like it. This is awful. I mean, I just... you how, how thick have you got to be to like this? This is worse than Rob... We were talking about Robson and Jerome the other day. <laughs> Robson and Jerome started with, like, the, the, the fundamentals of a good song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is bollocks. It's absolute bollocks. Yeah, this is fucking dog shit. I mean, I'm sorry. I know you've done that great kind of question to end the review on the positive but i thought actually i wonder what other people who do like modern metalcore are making of this and i've seen reviews of this that have been giving it like sevens eights nines and said oh they're still the the absolute bastions of the scene they came from it's like well it must have been a fucking piece of shit scene then i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna say this right for where metalcore is right now we've spoken before about the indie landfill era and how the mid-2000s was such a terrible thing for 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 music i then was like a few years ago do you know what i think this whole mumble rap soundcloud rap sort of 2015 to maybe 2019 your little zans and stuff like that and you know post malone has actually massively gone up in my estimation over the last few years although i don't like that fucking album that everyone was going on about i still think that's bum but right i was like that might overtake that indie scene metalcore right now and the shit that i hear from it it is worse definitely worse than indie landfill definitely worse because i chuck in if bands like the future heads and i mean i think the kaiser chiefs are better than this that first kaiser chiefs album is better than this there are some of those bands that are fucking rubbish the hoosiers and scout for girls and the view and the kooks and shit like that and the fratellis but there are a couple where you go, yeah, you know, like I think the future hosts are quite good. And I think like there's some all right stuff. We touched about the bravery. It's like at least that is a catchy, well made song. None of that. And I haven't heard anything that makes me think this has anything good going for it at all. Modern metalcore, literally, you are you have stealth like crept into the position of possibly the worst genre the worst era and the worst genre of music combined. You are you are beating out indie landfill you are beating Razorlight for being bad at music fucking dreadful so please like i it, i'm not even i'm not you know i'm not being you know if you've got something that you think that you know you're like you know what you're wrong actually this is really artistically interesting and if you send me ice nine kills i'm <laughs> just gonna laugh in your fucking face because like i don't need to listen to l storm holding a fake bloody knife do you know what i mean like fuck off yeah so it, like reprehensible shit this is reprehensible shit terrible fucking terrible fucking carl from of mice and men didn't die for this did he 
or whatever his name is. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Pedo one. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's move on. That's yeah. uh, Devil Wears Prada. I've forgotten what the name of the album is already. Uh, let's move on to The Who, Rumble of Thunder, the second studio album from the Mongolian folk metal band, the follow-up to their 2019 debut album, The Gereg. Now, I never listened to that record, but I have heard bits and bobs of this band, and I thought it at least sounded a little bit different to most of the stuff that was being sort of hyped up massively in the metal world, but not really enough to make me go out and want to listen to an entire record of it. Uh, Sam, The Who, um, what are your thoughts and feelings on this band before we get into the records? Do um, you have any? I'm pretty much in exactly the same position. I'd heard a couple of bits and bobs. Uh, their, you know, their cover of Sad But True was sort of quite widely shared online, so I did check that out. And it's like, yeah... It's cool. It's an interesting take. I do wonder how long they'll be able to keep up the gimmick, I suppose, which feels like a harsh thing because obviously they are playing sort of traditional Mongolian instruments. It's where they're from. It's the culture they're a part of. But I think the way it's being sold kind of as a band, it's like I don't know what kind of shelf life they're actually going to have as cover stars of magazines or whatever. Although, I mean, to be fair, they're playing Rock City in November or December. So, you know, they clearly mm. garden an audience that, um, I mean... I would assume we'll still be going after this record. So, yeah, I would have thought so. I mean, look, they seem to have really captured uh, people's imagination quite mm. a lot. I mean, people really, really do like this band a hell of a lot. Like, they seem to really, really have a a strong following of people, and not, and not just like they've got a lot of. I mean, they're playing the Roundhouse. Wow, are they in, oh. in London as well? So, you know, that is that is pretty big. Like, not only have they got a lot of people interested in them mm. very in a very short amount of time the people who like them seem to absolutely fucking love them so i was kind of interested in in this as a uh, as a record and to cover it and you know like i don't know what they're saying at all again it's 13 songs it's 68 minutes mm. come on lads <laughs> come on 68 minutes no 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 but i actually rather enjoyed this I don't think there's a lot in the way of particularly interesting dynamic stylistic deviations throughout the record, but it is at least something a little bit different. It's lots of deep rumbling grooves that are quite catchy instantly, lots of thick, interesting sounding backing vocals, a lot of thudding, thumping stuff. Um, you know, it stays in the same place quite a lot. But there's a song called Mother Nature, which nicks the vocal hook from Take a Bow by Madonna and the solo from <laughs> November Rain and turns it into a Who song. And I was like, this is cool. It is nearly seven minutes long. Why are you going on for so long? You've got you've, you've done what you need to do. Get the fuck out. Mm. But um, yeah, broadly speaking, that kind of like Metallica stomp meets Mongolian folk music meets, I don't know, something entirely alien to this scene in general. It was at least unique and different and interesting enough for me to go all right yeah i i basically completely agree i mean i was surprised how much i liked this album to be honest because i say the who they sort of seemed like um you know from the little bits bobs i heard it was like oh it's cool you know they're, they're using kind of a, a different instruments to go into a a genre that i don't think would naturally accept them broadly until kind of the, the Metallica cover sort of came about. I think that was when they really, really hit big with the metal scene uh, and the rock scene more broadly. Yeah, I think this is cool. Mother Nature, actually. It is too long as a song. But that, to me, is a really kind of nice, quite rousing anthem. I could see that being a set closer for them and you'd have people, light is in the air, arms around each other, just having a bloody lovely time. Um, Yeah, 
I don't think it's necessarily that dynamic as an album. It's basically got two modes, which is kind of, they're doing an ACDC song with Mongolian instruments, or they're doing a pop song with Mongolian instruments. And the pop stuff, I really, really like. So there's a little run of Triangle Teach Me and Upright Destined Mongol. I think it's great. Just they're kind of nice, pleasant bangers, you know. They're not things I'm necessarily going to be going back to. I mean, this won't be making my album of the year list. Even if I was writing for a specifically metal magazine, it probably wouldn't sniff my 20. <laughs> if you write for a folk metal magazine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if I was writing for a Mongolian folk metal magazine. <laughs> but, um, I mean... The- I can only think of nine ideas in the 19 <laughs> albums this year. No, no, it's not going in. It's just not... <laughs> I'm not turning it in. Um, my favourite one, I mean, God, I'm not going to pronounce this well, so sorry for butchering, but um, B. Bileji? Oh, Come On Eileen. Come On Eileen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Come On Eileen, isn't it? Yeah. It's fucking, it's basically the levellers <laughs> getting really Come On Eileen towards the end, yeah. but done in Mongolian. It's brilliant. It's And great. then actually, that is really good. <laughs> it's hilarious. I was like, oh my God, it's actually... <laughs> It's actually come on, Eileen. And then the next song's called Seggy. And it sounds like, uh, bear with me on this one. You're going to have to listen to it. The song after it, Peggy, sounds like a Mongolian folk version of the end credits of Only Fools and Horses. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest, I didn't get that. Stick a yak in me pocket. (laughs) I'll fetch the... You probably do have suitcases in Mongolia. Suitcase from the rickshaw. Um, is this oh, <laughs> incredibly offensive? Oh, I think it might it's be. incredibly offensive or really funny. It might be both. It might be Who both, knows? Yeah. Uh, it might be both. But look, it's over an hour. I mean, lads, sort it the fucking, fucking sort it out. But look, it's over an hour. It does not need to be over no. an hour. And I was a bit like, I'm, I'm kind of done with this after about 40 minutes. But they're cool. I think they're quite cool. I was a bit like... I wouldn't say I was sniffy about it, but I was a little bit cynical about it. It just mm. seemed to come along and I was like, okay, what is this some sort of like, I, I had L-Storm and I saw the sort of people that liked him. I was a bit like, oh God, are they going to yeah. be another one of those L-Storm? Because they're nerdy, aren't they? They're quite nerdy. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think I feel the same. It's kind of, yeah, quite cynical going into it. It's a 40 minute album with 20 minutes of padding. Um, but to be honest, I enjoyed it enough that I'm kind of tempted to go and see them at that Rock City day. I think it'd be good fun. And I hate fun. So, you know. Yeah. I know you're famously. Mm. I mean, I can see why the metal press have jumped on this band, but whereas a band like, for example, System of a Down were definitely a rock stroke metal band with some Armenian folk influences, this does just feel like a folk band who are a bit heavier than some other folk mm. bands. I mean, when I think of the stuff that it sort of reminds me of, um, you know, we've mentioned the Levelers and Madonna mm. and Dexys Midnight Runners and Only Fools and Horses. And the only metal band I've mentioned are... Metallica and ACDC yeah. and Guns N' Roses so there's a bit of that in it but I mean I can but I can see why I can see why the metal press would want to kind of embrace this band go on can, well because they're different and they're interesting and they're ex, they're kind of exciting and they're a bit unique and they're they have a very strong image they have a very hardcore fan base and those people who like metal but are they a metal band? I'm not quite sure they're entirely a metal band. I think they have elements of heavier music in mm. them, but I don't necessarily think they are metal. You know, when you think of like, oh, the, we, we mustn't cover Biffy Clyro. We mustn't. They're not a metal band. They've got nothing to do with metal. We mustn't. What are Biffy Clyro doing? No, 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 no. And it's like, well, Biffy Clyro are heavier than yeah. this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think there's any problem at all by for, with this band being embraced by 
the metal press and stuff like that and the metal fandom i think that's great because you know there aren't <laughs> many mongolian folk bands who are crossing over to a, a wider audience so i think that's really cool um i'd be interested to see uh the comments section of various magazines responds to your kind of rationale for them being there but i say interested i don't actually care yeah i think the who are good i think they're a weird one i think they've been placed into a genre i don't think they necessarily fits well they certainly don't fit solely into it but yeah good for them i i think i think i might like the who yeah look you know they make this genre seem more interesting mm. to me is what i would say and they're catchy you know they're catchy like I said, they're catchy and they're fun they're interesting and it's unusual and good yeah like this is pretty good too long but mm. good rumble of thunder by the who that's out now as is from today stake love death and decay the second album from the belgian band now known as stake formerly stake number eight the follow-up to 2019's critical method which we reviewed here on the podcast i was very nice about the old stake number eight on the old metal hammer podcast days um i really really liked whatever that album was called um from back then i can't actually remember what it was called but they're a different band now basically they've got, they've got a different name spelt differently taking a few of the words out of the title as well and this is not a complete departure from their old sound which was a kind of melvin's riffy hardcore thing but they have certainly added a few more bits to it a bit more melody a bit more alternative indie influences a bit of gothy post-punk chromatic chime to it as well uh they're becoming a very good band i think stake very good yeah i would agree um so stake when they were stake number eight um i remember reading about them in metal hammer and um i've always i have always had and i think i always will have a really deep level of cynicism when people are saying oh this band's really really good oh and they're also still teenagers i'm like ah i don't i don't believe they're actually any good if they're still teenagers which is mad to think because you know i mean fucking metallica were like 16 were they formed whatever silver chair. yeah there's plenty mate there's plenty it's my own failing so i never really checked out state number eight much to my own kind of uh my own shame i suppose because yeah this is fucking great i listened to the last one critical method after the very positive review it got on this show um I think this new one's really, really good, actually. I think there's um, an interesting kind of, I don't know, dynamic journey it takes you on, starting with that kind of, I don't know, doomy post-metally dirge that is the title track, I feel. Um, but it's got a much cleaner tone than you'd expect rather than the crushing distortion for a genre like that. I mean, I think it almost lends more weight to how tortured the vocals sound on that track. It sounds like, it sounds properly heavy and quite almost evil, to be honest. Um Mm. and i think you're absolutely right yeah there's goth and post-punk and stuff in here and i really like so the song fuck my anxiety um it's got a cool it's yeah a cool sort of chunky swaggering but also quite jagged riffs um it's like dillinger gone really accessible almost because it is in kind of weird frenzied time signatures but i really like that i think that epitomizes the, the album and i was assumed the band because it feels like it's got a wry smile behind it because a song called fuck my anxiety i mean it's clearly poking fun at that kind of <laughs> bands like the devil wears prada quite frankly um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. As yes do. i mean yeah fuck, fuck my anxieties I, i've put it sounds like a thrash version of unsane uh, it's yeah. great i mean the shit like you know zone out at the start of that sounds like biffy clyro mixed with hawkwind <laughs> you know you've got stuff that reminds me of 
a much more riffy but also more cerebral version of something from jupiter by Kevin. Mm. you know the first song's seven minutes long and it kind of starts with a very very harsh guitar riff not a million miles away from something like Wilhaven, and you expect it to just explode and pummel you but it does go into this dreamy more cerebral thing and i think like they've managed to get that balance really really mm. right on this record you know um there are songs in here like ray of the sun is eight minutes and 25 seconds long and if you'd have told me 10 years ago or 11 years ago when i first heard stake number eight when they were teenagers and they were making just a nasty noisy quick to the point sit on a riff scream all over it batter everything around it kind of record which was great and exciting and had you know very decent commander dynamics and hooks but wasn't the most um wasn't the most sort of expansive thing that you could imagine i probably wouldn't have been able to see them getting to a point where they could make a song like that because i would probably just go most bands like this stay in this position and they sort of stay there but they have gone on a I, look, they're not as good as Cave-In, but it's a Cave-In-esque mm. journey, I think, where they have managed to, you know, bring in all of these elements of progressive rock and post-punk and you mentioned sort of post-metal and dream pop and all those things. And yet, unlike a lot of those bands, well, unlike Cave-In, you know, when they do do that, or as Cave-In did it back then, caving got rid of most of the heaviness or certainly toned down all the heaviness and staker still really really fucking heavy when they want to be still very very harsh sounding band but they've kept all those elements but they've also added in all these other things which i think they're undoubtedly a better band now undoubtedly a better mm. band. i mean i'd be curious to go back and check out their other stuff but i do think yeah i mean I can't imagine that this is what they've been doing for the best part of a decade. And I can't imagine they're doing it to diminishing returns because this is great. Um, I think the cave-in comparison, the bullseye for that is the song Queen of the Dirt, which moves between that kind of psych and space rock and the heavy hardcore that well, State could apparently do so well. It's like a condensed run-through of the first three cave-in albums in, well, four and a half, five minutes, whatever. Um, Zone Out, I just wanted to say on Zone Out, I think this is kind of testament to how much is going on in this album and yet it all still feels so so well put together to be honest for me i thought that was like it had that kind of psychedelic prog feel of a heavy band like mastodon on blood mountain but the melodic sensibility of mastodon on the hunter so it was a really cool halfway house between those two um yeah i'm well in on this and dream city is an ending i mean it's kind of got the sort of shimmering feel of well current death heaven to me it's got that real kind of slow divey mm. shimmer to it and i you know i wouldn't say it's shoegazy it's more dream pop definitely but it's it's quite a hulking indie um i think it's great it's an unexpected way for my money for the the album to end like that i think it's awesome yeah yeah it's really good there you go love death and decay by stake comes out today check it out definitely do check it out i think it's very very good um let's review the new megadeth album as well let's get this one uh. let's get this one out of the way sam megadeth the sick the dying and the dead it's a 16th I wish studio I was album. dead <laughs> it's a 16th studio album from Dave Mustaine's Thrash Legends the follow up to 2016's Dystopia record which I thought was pretty rubbish to be honest even though I haven't gone back to it I have no fucking idea um dearie me where do we start with this one uh look 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 there's some stuff on this which I don't like right and I think 
I'm not sure I'm ever going to love another Megadeth album ever again. The first song is a decent enough impression of Rust in Peace. Fine, I guess. Um, it doesn't have the energy of that period of Megadeth, right? And there's a bit where he goes a pocket full of posies and it goes all acoustic and cheesy and then it goes back into a thrash bit and I just thought, well, that didn't work. It didn't work, mate. That just didn't work. And I don't know what you're thinking putting that in. And... Um, I mean, I know you're you're going to shit on this, aren't you? You're going to give this a kick in. <sighs> Pretty much, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Look, do you like Megadeth? Uh, no, is the short answer. I think they have got, you know, they've got albums that I respect more than I like. I mean, obviously, I'm not a monster. Rust in Peace is clearly a classic. It's kind of a definitive statement within its genre. Um, I mean, like, when I listen to Rust in Peace, there, there are bits I would skip you know i don't think it's absolute gold all the way through and i think that's basically megadeth's career um but i think it's diamonds in the rough with megadeth um and i think a lot of that comes down to dave mustaine naturally and that's not just because like oh he's got a silly rubbish voice and oh he's a bit of a prick and he keeps banging on about metallica even though they kicked him out 40 years ago um it's not because of that and actually i will say to be fair to dave i don't think he's the worst thing about this record for me i think it's massively overwritten but so bereft of ideas and very few of them actually work together even though they're trying to ape what they've done so many times before but i think the absolute worst thing about it is that this album sounds so limp the production is so weedy across this album like even when you've got the big chugging guitar riffs it's just like it's it's tinny like the first time i listened to this um well, to be honest, I've listened to this once through in full because th- this is another album that's far too fucking long. 55 fucking minutes, mate. Come oh, on. Oh, fuck off, mate. Honestly. it's uh, Sit down, Dave. Honestly. But I listened to... I thought, I'll, I'll give this album a listen. Um, before I knew we were reviewing or anything, the day it came out, I listened to the title track and I thought, yeah, not for me. And then I thought, why does it sound... like? Ha- is it just me? Does it really sound that weedy? And I went and put on um, Nightmare Logic by Power Trip and I was like, fuck me, how can this small Texan band have a better production job than Megadeth four or five years later. Like, mental. Um, yeah, I don't have loads to say. I mean, if I was going to pick a highlight, I'd say Soldier On, because it's got the kind of, I quite like the intentional clipping on the production of the main riff, but then it ends with that fucking Dave Mustaine leading a marching band doing the, I don't know what I've been told, yeah. and ruins it. So Yeah, look, I mean, look. <laughs> Life in Hell, decent riff. Mm. Uh, Night Stalkers with Ice T is not a great song, um and when ice t comes in he's more part of a build-up rather than the aggressive part yeah and when you've got dave mustaine then delivering the aggressive part that doesn't make sense to me no. six and a half minutes long doesn't need to be six minutes long followed by another six minute long song this time a much slower one which megadeth can do um but they play it at sort of a halfway house here so you're not really getting something like a toot lemon uh, you know something like a toot lemon great but it doesn't really mm. stay in that place to even let it give itself that comparison Dave's voice on a song like Sacrifice, not even his voice, but his vocal melodies, clunky. Yeah. Junky is an anti-drug song that's not really an anti-drug song. It's an anti-people who take drugs song. Mm. And it feels quite... Mean-spirited. Nasty and mean-spirited. Absolutely. And it's not got much of a hook on it. You're right. I do like Soldier On. I think Soldier On has got a, a an actual memorable hook, mm. and the riff sounds for one of the few times the record sounds savage. Yes. Um, but the flip of that is Mission to Mars, which I think is fucking atrocious. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like Tenacious D. 
it is oh. the bit where he goes, hello, ladies, made my sphincter tighten up to the point where I, like, I nearly sucked my village church and my whole <laughs> village into my arsehole because it was so sphincter tightingly like cringeworthy it's terrible but stuff on it like we'll be back when they do the full thrash attack occasionally look megadeth for all the kind of proclamations of we're with the heaviest band in thrash and blah 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 for all of that stuff i don't think that was what megadeth ever were megadeth were sort of state-of-the-art very i think the cleanliness dave mustaine clean sounding riffs and you can hear every mm. and he's a fucking phenomenal guitarist he's not a very good singer he can occasionally come up with some really good vocal hooks which he needs to do and they're not enough of them on this record i think looking at the track listing a 12 track track i'm not going to count the fucking dead kennedy's cover or fucking sammy hagar cover that we got on the digital edition but when i look at the track listing i see four maybe five songs that feel like they at least inhabit a place where megadeth should be even at this stage in their career i'm not giving megadeth an easy pass no even though they haven't made a good record for like well it's fucking 14 years now isn't it? it's been a long time is it 14 13 14 years it's been a long time since megadeth made a record and you shouldn't really expect much from Megadeth at this point and again a bit like Ozzy I went into this not expecting much the difference between this album I think and the Ozzy record is th they're actually quite comparable I think mm. in the fact that songwriting wise there's a few things that are genuinely quite good and a lot of filler there's a lot of filler and they're also way way deep into their career so you shouldn't really be expecting too much from it but despite that Despite that, I think the Aussie album succeeds on the strength of hooks and the production, whereas the Megadeth album, it, it not not as much. And I think it's a shame because I do genuinely think there are a couple of songs on this record, Life in Hell, um, Soldier On, um, uh, Celebuente, however you say that, um, where I think it's actually, you know, they actually do sound quite good. I actually think they do sound quite good. And again, the flip from the Aussie album is, unfortunately, when this album sounds bad, junky, mm -hmm. Mission to Mars is terrible. Yeah. Um, when it sounds bad, it sounds absolutely dreadful. Like really, really bad. And the good it does not outweigh the bad unfortunately and the good isn't is good it's not great it's good so yeah i th i think when this album is at its best it's kind of passable and if you really really like megadeth you will like bits of this but i've really struggled to think of anyone like i mean i i did listen to dystopia i've listened to a lot of megadeth they are a band i have tried with i don't just like <laughs> blindly hate them uh, I mean, I don't even hate them. I'm just not that fussed by them at all. Um, but I listened to Dystopia, and obviously that was, you know, the big return to form, which I suppose compared to Super, Super Collider that came before it, I nearly said Supercharger, which is probably a better album, to be honest. Um, compared to Super Collider that came before it, it's like, well, yeah, it is a return to form, but when you're at the absolute n like nadir of your career, anything is going to sound better than that. Anything's going to sound better than that. Um, and I don't like the... It's the same as the Aussie thing. 
Um, I think they're absolutely getting a pass based on legacy um, because I'm not going to hammer that point home too hard, but I'm just going to ask you a question, Steve. I just want a yes or no answer. Nine out of ten. No. Yeah, exactly. But this album is getting no. eights and nines across the board. And it, it is like if I give the Aussie a five, I mean, I think this is struggled to get a four from me, but it's still four times, would... four times better than the Devil Wears Prada. So that's good. This would be a four for me. Yeah. Yeah. This would be a four. Uh, it's low points are too low. Mm. It's low points are spectacularly low, stupidly low. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, you can't really square that. Well, they're saying that you know there are a couple of songs on it that I actually quite like, but this is just you know it's really not that good. Mm. Um, that's the sick, the dying and the dead by Megadeth. And we have much else to say about this. Let's go on to something which is much better. End and cult leader have an EP called Gather and Mourn. It is quick. It's, thank God, four <laughs> tracks. Two from End, two from Cult Leader. We've reviewed both of these bands separately on this podcast before. I reviewed this for, How- for Metal Hammer. I only needed one listen. Yeah. Not because it's not good, but because it just batters you so hard, so instantaneously from the second you press play. I was like, I know what I'm doing with this. It's fine. Mm. For me, of the two bands on it, and I think both bands are very good, it's End who just scrape it for me in terms of the if, you, if you're putting the bands up against each other. They tune right down. They just scream the shit out of it. They steal the show, I think. Eden Will Drown is revolting battery. Double kick drum, pounding the shit out of everything. Um, and then, you know, you've got the, the song after that, The Host Will Soon Decay, which has got this god flesh meets early dillinger escape plan thing combining it into something which is kind of definitively hardcore sounding mm. yet pulling in from both of those in- influences it's very very good cult leader for me a little bit more rough and ready with the attack the first song at um ataraxis is less than two minutes long just grinding like Gah! and then it fucks off but they are fucking good at doing that long shadows the other song is really spiteful super harsh sounding punishing Give it a little bit more space to breathe. I do like that. Mm. Everything on this is very good. Like I say, end, just edge it for me. That's my review, basically. Sorry, I haven't even brought you in at all, Sam, but that's what I think. That's quite all right. I mean, I basically agree with you. I mean, given that this album, this EP, so the split EP is 13 minutes, I mean, this can be a really short review. This is fucking great. Um, I think I probably would just give it to end as well um, because, yeah, you've basically got the kind of ultra-heavy power violence hardcore for their opening track. And then, as you say, Godflesh by way of Dillinger. I mean, that's that, the host will soon decay. I mean, I can't imagine what it'd be like to see that at either Outbreak or Damnation Festival. It would absolutely kick off when those bit crushed bass lines come in. It's fucking nasty as anything. But yeah, I think Cult Leader, brilliant as well. Um, they kind of, their first track kind of goes into the power violence thing, but I think with a more noise rock sensibility, which I think's great. Just a lot of horrible feedback, lovely stuff. Um, yeah, and then Long Shadows. Uh, to be honest, I thought with the extra room to breathe, I thought it was maybe a bit black and hardcore. Maybe a bit birds in row, which is not a bad thing in my book. Um, yeah, it's close. I mean, I think End of the Blunt Force Trauma and then Cult Leader are the kind of more like, I don't know, you've got a kind of a vice closing around your head. Hmm. Oh, that's a nice, yeah. That is a nice oh, idea, a nice, isn't it? Nice yeah. way to put it. Yeah, um, yeah. I would go and listen to this. If I oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It's 13 minutes. Definitely go and listen to this. Yeah. Gather and Mourn by Ending Cult Leader. That is out now. Right, let's move on to this album, which I'd be quite interested, quite interested to talk about this one. Mm. Black Braid 1 by Black Braid, the debut album from the Adiron- 
Adirondack-based, is that how you say that place? Adirondack-based solo black metal musician. He's an interesting character, this guy. Um, there's influence from Native American culture within a black metal framework, mm. essentially, which I'm not going to lie, Sam, I thought was a fantastically unique idea when I heard what this was. I was like, oh, what a great idea. I also thought that it might be quite hard to pull that off. But knowing, as I do, the notoriously accepting and reasonable world of black metal fandom, <laughs> I thought people were giving plenty of rope and encouragement to continue to mine this as an idea. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, black metal fans are basically tossers. Um, yeah, I think the elevator pitch for this is really, really fucking cool because, uh, as well, as we were saying at the top of the show, uh, in the Behemoth review, it's like, Black metal fans generally can be divided into Nazis and vociferously anti-Nazi camps. And I'd say this guy, you know, definitely the anti-Nazi camp. But he's got a very different perspective on it than we, well, certainly than I've ever heard in this kind of music. Which I think is why Black Braid, as an artist, is getting a push. Um, when I first listened to it, I kind of thought, ah, yes, I like this. And you can tell it's kind of from that region of the world. Because it's got that kind of fiery intensity, like a rotting Christ or something. Even though I know rotting Christ are Greek. But got that to it rather than the icy intensity of a Scandinavian, you know, specifically Norwegian black metal band. To be honest, though, I think the big one for me, and I mean this is a massive compliment, I hear a lot of Alcest in this with a kind of emotive black metal, like almost straying into black gaze at times. But, it's, you know, it's heavier than black gaze. It's more metallic than black gaze but yeah i think this is a really cool album um i think river time flows through me it's a grandiose black metal track that does blast beats and trebolo picks it's it's great um and then second daga i think would probably be the highlight for me it's proper blister i think that's got the more european sensibility to add a bit of swagger into the black metal as well there's a little bit where you could kind of almost sway along to it if you weren't being absolutely pummeled by the percussion mm. Yeah, I think you've done a very good job at explaining that, considering you're talking about a, uh, a sub-genre of music which basically has one song. Um, yeah. Look, I mean, this sounds like black metal to me, doesn't it? I mean, the, I think the production... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I kind of wished for a bit more, to be like, I, Maybe that sounds harsh, but oh, okay, when I read okay. the thing, I was like, oh, it's a shame that it does just basically sound like black metal, but then I suppose black metal just sounds like black metal, doesn't it? Um, mm. I think the production is super harsh sounding. And, mm. and that's great and that kind of yeah that fieriness of it and that kind of you know it doesn't sound um you know i think it's good that albums like this can exist now and they don't have to sound like that kind of biscuit tinny shitty fucking production sound and, and that's it um and you know i think the first time it comes in the, the slight change in direction that happens at first on that first song really makes it sound savage and it's really really good and then you get some more sort of traditional instrumentation um on the the second song as the creek flows softly by and i was like oh that's mm. quite a nice little counterpoint to what's just happened nice it's nice nice to be nice and then it starts to sound like black black metal again with wicked who saw that coming um and it, but, it's, <laughs> but again it is good his voice is really really savage and mm. you know like warm wind is more of the sort of the what's it called warm wind whispering softly through hemlock at dusk. Hemlock at dusk. Yeah. And that and the creek flows softly by this is six songs, right? Six songs mm. over thirty six minute plus runtime. Right. So you've got two kind of basically like traditional sounding musical things mixed with like four black metal songs. 
and I kind of it would have been nice to hear them integrated together a bit more I think but again you know I think that he does do it a touch and that warm wind song song there's a kind of almost like out of tune guitar well in the background which gives this kind of discordant feel to it which I thought was was really really good um you know it's 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 not long like I say six songs it didn't get boring and I think those do you want to call them interlude? Yeah, we can't really call them interlude tracks. They're both yeah, like it feel, feels harsh to call them. Yeah, harsh to call them interlude tracks. But those two tracks that are very obviously different from everything else that goes on, I think they break it up um, really well. And I think they lean in on the uh, the ideological part of this project mm. so much more clearly. And it's cool because, you know, it stops it from sounding like just one thing. Yeah. Con- continually. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, you know. I think I've sort of hinted at it. Like black metal, not a very dynamic subgenre. No. Do you know what I mean? Like not like there's there's not loads that you can do with that. Um, there's more to black metal than this. No, there's not actually. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, like it's co- so that's why I prefer listening to black metal inspired stuff. Um, mm. And I did sort of think to myself when I heard this, I was like, oh, that's really cool that he's going to sort of merge these two things in a, a Zealand Arda-esque way. And I don't quite think they're actually merged together. But I think it's a good record. I think it is good. I don't think it's... Um, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen any reviews of it and I haven't seen any kind of discourse about it from fans. Of it. I'm. It seems like the sort of thing that would either be lauded for being super forward thinking or derided for not sticking strictly to mm-hmm. the dogma of the black metal ideology. And I haven't actually read either of those things. So I don't know. I'm not really that interested in hearing either of those opinions because I don't <laughs> think either of them carry that very much weight. Really. I think they're basically um, as an album, this is a decent enough record with a few little interesting enough stylistic deviations, but I think it could go quite a lot further. And I'd mm. like to hear it go quite a lot further, to be honest. But this is what Black Parade won. Yeah, I mean, this is the first full length. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I think Second Daga is the one where you get a little hint as to the the merging together because you do hear some of those sort of wind instruments in the background underneath the cacophony of black metal. Um, I agree. I think this could this could do more, but I think it's a starting point. It's a really interesting one, and I I'll definitely be keeping an eye on Black Braid. Um, I think yeah. this could turn into a really really interesting project. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's pretty good actually. Yeah, it is good. Uh, anyway, there you go. Black Braid One by Black Braid. That is out now. And our final record, as we got through ten. Look at this. We've reached the finishing line. Saboteur, Skygen Kemper, which is I think how you say that. It is the debut album from the very, very odd indeed Danish stoner metal punks. But there's a bit more to this than just pure. Stoner metal punk, as you might think, oh, well, I know exactly what this Scandi rock punk thing is going to sound like. This came out in June, and we haven't done it yet. And I got it in June and was like, weird, isn't it? Look at this, is weird. If you like a couple of the usual touchstones, the Convelatacs and Turbo Negros, cool. But also, if you like Primus and McCluskey and Caius and Ween and the idea of all that stuff sort of mixed together, I think you'll enjoy this a lot. They are a weird band. They wear like Doctor Doom off of um, 
not Doctor fantastic Doom. What's four. his name? Or for Fantastic well, you're thinking Four? Of, you're thinking I of was MF thinking, Doom. I was thinking of MF Doom. I was thinking of Doctor mm-hmm. Doom, and I was thinking of whatever that geezer is in Flash Gordon who wears the robot mask. They wear those Ooh. sort of masks, and they sort of seem to be talking about robots, even though they do it all in. I believe it's in Danish. Certainly not yeah. in English. Um, this has massively grown on me. I thought it was weird the first time I heard it, but I quite liked it. And now I love it. Cool. Um, I remember you telling me about this album way back when. I think it was um, on the way to the Heck show at the Fighting Cocks. Uh, not Knuckles of Ice, sorry. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll check that out. I mean, Primus and McCluskey by way of kind of Mastodon and Cavellatac. That sounds fucking great. Um and to be honest, they've, they've got an unusually spelt name being Danish. Um, so I never was able to find them. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm sure Steve will tell me about it again another time. And even when we were coming to <laughs> review it, I was looking at Apple Music. I was like, I can't find a band called Saboteur. And he's like, no, no, Saboteur, like with an O, with an umlaut. I was like, oh, okay. Um, I'm really looking forward to spending even more time with this album because first, listen, it is quite bewildering, even though, you know, ostensibly it is a kind of, 70s inspired fuzzed up stoner punk record um although that being said the second song not gonna be able to pronounce this but ropar danmark debut mr bungle isn't it debut mr bungle fucking wicked that is it's brilliant mate um i think for me though that the immediate highlight with just a sort of couple of listens under my belt um or poor um so you'd said to me oh there's a load of primus in this and i was like oh, to this point so it's kind of about halfway through the album i was like well, where is it i'm not really hearing it i mean i kind of get a, a primus aesthetic in the fact that it's weird but i don't really hear primus um until i got to this song which is harold of the rocks off the end of frizzle fry it's fucking great i love this <laughs> yeah I know. and that that was the point where i was like yeah no this album is proper good and um sabotage don't know quite how you pronounce it again but it's it's black sabbath by way of primus it, it could could have fit on volume four or frizzle fry it's fucking mental but yeah i i'm really looking forward to digging into this album further because it's a lot to take in it's a hell of a lot to take in i mean you start off with a few i mean you know they've got a song called king diamond and it sounds like a sort of king diamond song yeah. uh robot the first song i mean again i don't really know what they're saying but it's um it's about something about fucking robots super catchy say, massive yeah. riff bit of richard heron in it Ropar Danmark, as you said, has got this massive sort of danceable staccato riff and groove to it. Popping bass, 80s popping mm. bass, Scandi Ween. Um, you know, there's a song on it, and again, I can't even fucking be bothered to try and pronounce it, but basically, it's the fourth song on the record. Um, it sounds like, um, I mean, oh God, fuck it, I will actually. Bedji Gore Fry, it's called sort of but anyway it sounds like what mike uh mike, matt pike might do if they'd put flaka from ramstein's brain into his head for a minute oh, that's what yeah. i think it yeah. sounds like yeah. it's like a sexy one but a riffy one there's mm. a ballad as well there's an actual fucking ballad on this silly bastard and <laughs> as it gets longer and longer and goes into the record the last few songs are like seven minutes and eight minutes long and one's got a cowbell on it and one just sounds like the flaming lips with like a big fucking Caius riff on it. I mean, look, you might turn around and go, this is bollocks. This is absolute nonsense, mm. this record. Because it's it's well silly. It's well silly. But in a in a quite a po-faced, often very dour, serious, you know, as we've discussed, can be quite unsurprising, quite, you know, unimaginative genre 
a very quick, very weird, very funny, very catchy album it is something which I am more than happy to get behind. I reckon this will be fairly high in my Metal Hammer Albums of the Year list. Mm. Not my Album of the Year list, but my Metal Hammer Album of the Year list, where I'm only allowed to pick stuff that Metal Hammer has covered. I think this will be fairly high come the end of the year. Fair play. I mean, as I say, I think it's too soon for me to make a proper call on it. But yeah, if you like if you like weird shit and stoner shit, you're going to like this album. 99% of people in that Venn diagram will like this album. I think this is really cool. Um, the I can't remember it. A bird, your girl, fry, however you say it. Uh, my note for that was, I think that takes more from the kind of noughties rock revivalism rather than 70s rock. And I basically said, it's like if Wolfmother weren't shit. Who, who wouldn't want that? Exactly. Yeah. No, you're right. Anyway, they're called Saboteur. That's S-A-B-O-T-O, like with a fucking thing through it. R. Just put in then O. I think that'd be right. And the album's called Skygenkemper. I'm not telling you how to spell it. <laughs> Find it for yourself. <laughs> not your, not your mum. Uh, anyway, listen, thanks very much, guys, for listening. Go to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast. We will have... Um, some more stuff up there for you at some point and you know sign up go and listen to the pulp special if you like we'll be back next week we're going to be catching up on either hip-hop or indie next week i think or maybe even pop because i mean we didn't do the rena sawayama album this week so might whack it in next week so we might do like a pop catch up next week so look forward to that we'll see you then enjoy the rest of your week and uh god save the king